Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast, where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale, and we've got the usual crew here again today. So I've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. Got Josh Torres. It's Monster Hunter season again. Yeah! Yep, Monster Hunter Rise is probably going to be a big focus of this podcast. Spoiler warning. Joining me is Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. And James Galizio. I've put too much time into Monster Hunter in this life. Yeah, like literally <laughs> last night and this morning, we were already just getting the staff together and had a few people do some co-op hunts, a lot of people sharing their thoughts. Obviously, we'll talk about the review that James published for our site. We also had a few things this week with the uh, future game show and some indies. Nothing like too exciting, but a few a few tidbits that we can pull from those. But before we get into that, we're going to go into what we've been playing this week. And let's start with games that are not Monster Hunter Rise so that we can then ramp up into it as we get into our feature like loadout discussion, which means I think I have to pick on Adam first. So you thought we we're going to talk about Monster Hunter? No, we're going to continue on about dungeon RPGs. I'm sorry, right. Adam, I'm putting you on the spot. It's up to you. To make <laughs> I mean, this. To be quite honest, I didn't have that much to say any more than I did last week. Um, you so I finished from uh, Saviors of Sapphire now to sort of city, right? Exactly. So I finished Saviors of Sapphire Wings, which, just to summarize my thoughts from last week very briefly, it's fine. It basically has all of the usual like gimmicks and trappings and container that uh, these experienced developed RPGs always have. So it's a pretty decent introduction to them if you haven't played any, but it is just kind of stale. It's just, it's okay. It's not especially an interesting game. Um, so I finished that and now I'm playing the other game that was sold. It's The game is sold as a two pack. It's literally called Savior Sapphire Wings slash Stranger of Sword City. It released last week or a couple weeks ago on Switch and PC. So now I'm playing Strangers of Sword City, uh, which is a re-release re-release actually um it's immediately a much more interesting uh, game it has uh, much better art much better art style better music kind of honestly better everything um so this this release is actually kind of interesting in that uh first of all they added uh, uh an easy mode so it's not as punishing as it was before before it was a really hard game so kind of maybe off-putting to people who just don't like you know, aren't really striving for the challenge, but it has an easy mode now. So that's, um, I'm actually replaying it. So I am admittedly just kind of playing it on easy since I've already played it once before. But also I didn't realize until this last week, uh, NIS America actually did uh, improve the localization of it. It just, uh, characters sound more natural. Uh, it's just, before it was, it wasn't, I wouldn't, maybe it wasn't like an absolutely terrible localization, but it wasn't really good. It was just kind of, you know, it was a dungeon RPG kind of characters just sort of, you know, it wasn't really the, the, the storyline is fine, but it's not really the crux of the game, but it's been improved. Just double checking. When you say they sound more natural, you just mean like coming across in text because there's no voice acting, right? Uh, there's Japanese voice acting, but yeah, I, I just mean oh, text. When you say sound more natural, all right. And yeah, for someone like, like me, where I've always seen like, these two they games. They sound like human beings rather than more, or less, more like you know robots or whatever. So I always see these two game titles obviously paired together because they literally are here. 
what is like the key difference between them? Like what what is one thing that is bespoke to Strangers of Sword City that is completely different from Saviors of Sapphire Wings? Well, I mean, they're both dungeon crawler RPGs, but they are the like the world and storyline in, in them are I think they're like technically connected, but they're they're just like different stories, different characters, different worlds, really. Um so it, picture picturing in your head, Saviors of Sapphire Wings has this more like anime-ish art style uh to it. You're basically just uh fighting the demons of a demon lord is basically the crux of the game. Stranger of Sword City, what that is, it's got this kind of like uh it's kind of got this Western influenced Japanese art style, if that makes sense. It's hard to describe, of course, with words. Um, but it's not really anime style. Uh, I believe the artist is Raita, Raita Kazuma, who did like the original Xenoblade uh, art and Runerzia and other games like that. Um, and in this game, the premise is, is that your character was on an airplane in like the modern world. And the airplane gets basically sucked into like a magical vortex storm thing. And you end up in this different world. And that's why you're called a stranger. And uh, it sort that of got this helps a lot. So like, oh, Stranger Sword City, that's the that's the isekai or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite little like dumb bits of lore is the reason why strangers are so much stronger in this world is because there is literally less gravity. So yep. since your bodies are used to Earth's gravity, you can do more. I think yeah, I saw so this like, on a Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, the Dragon Ball Z thing. Right? Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like that, that's sort of the in-game like explanation for like, so this game is a dungeon crawler, so there's not really like animated cutscenes or cinematics or things like that, but characters can, you know, flip in the air and fight wyverns and things like that. So that's the explanation of how they can do that. It's not just, you know, hand waves like, oh, your strangers actually can just do that because that gravity is lower here. Um, so stranger is kind of like a title. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so like any, so there there have been multiple characters that have been transported to this world, and they're all called strangers. And generally, the crux of the storyline it gets a little bit more involved in this is that you're trying to find a way back home. Um, so you kind of team up with other strangers to do that, and then of course there's uh, other stuff that happens. But uh, I'm enjoying it. The like I said, it's a much more interesting game than Savers of Sapphire Wings. It is, even with the easy mode, it is a little bit more tough. Like, for example, you cannot save in Dungeon. In Save Your Sapphire Wings, you can basically save anywhere. So that's, you know, you always have a backup. You can just save every before every battle if you want. Here, you cannot. So if you trek deep into a dungeon and then you get, you know, killed or whatever, uh, you're going you're gonna to lose more progress. But it's honestly probably the best game from experience so far. I'm really eager to see what Undernauts is like, because I know they were working on that for quite a while. So hopefully it's their, it's their best foot forward. And we'll be seeing that later this year. But right now, like of all the Experience Inc. Dungeon Crawler games, Stranger of Sword City Revisited is their best one. I think that's, I, 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 that's probably not an uncommon opinion. Um, maybe some people might say Demon Gaze. I thought Demon Gaze was, had some weird quirks. but. Um, in any case, Stranger Sword City has much better art than Demon Gaze. 
would you say this release of the this bundle of saviors of sapphire and this updated re-release of savior or uh, stranger of sword city like would that be like a good like gateway to an experience rpg it's like hey i wanna i'm like a uh i'm new either to dungeon rpgs or experience type uh dungeon rpgs would this be a good package of like having saviors of sapphire as like the gateway to dungeon rpgs to understand them even though it's bland it's simplistic yeah. at least and, and, and then they can like if they want to continue that at least they have another game in that package and like say okay i'm i'm into like this dungeon rpg formula but i'm not ready for like the like the crazy stuff yet so I'll do the easy mode of stranger of sword city then would that be an interesting like a, a natural progression yep i think so the um is the best experience game better than the worst etrian odyssey game uh, what's the worst Etrian Odyssey game? My opinion is the worst Etrian Odyssey game is two, but it's not even bad. It's just sort of... <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to... <laughs> it, they're, they're so different, in my opinion, because the, the, of the, how they're just... Even though they're both uh, dungeon RPGs, their core structure is so different that it's hard to compare them one-to-one, I'd say. Mm, yeah. The... So the experience games kind of have their own, like, it's hard to explain. So Etrian Odyssey games are more, like, based around the job systems in there and, like, classes and multi-classing and things like that. And while uh, experience RPGs have jobs as well, and there is, there's also some multi-classing sort of things you can do, although it works differently, there's just other components to the game that are much more prominent in experiencing rpgs um that like like dungeon traps and how you gain equipment and um skills that you can use in the dungeon like for example you can have skills that lower your or raise your evasion and raise your hit chance and lower enemies attacks against you and so there's just i would say the broad answer to your question though is this is probably a pretty good uh, introduction to it it's um it's just unfortunately the more interesting game is probably the game that's a little bit harder to get into yeah so and also like once you like get to stranger sword city you kind of have now that you're developing a mindset of like how dungeon rpgs operate especially when it comes to interfacing with the environment itself with your yeah. entire I, and i will say um i'm not sure how much uh, um savior sapphire wings has this but considering um experiences other dungeon crawlers i'm sure it kind of has the stuff like Oh, here's a water dungeon where you can't use magic or yep. Stuff it has like all that. those usual gimmicks. So it's like so if you you're new to dungeon crawlers, to yeah. If you're new to dungeon crawlers, I would definitely say play the easiest mode on Stranger Sword City, just because like I have friends that they even outright say that like the normal mode on Stranger Sword City is like the closest thing to a wizard like modern day wizardry you're going to get in regards to difficulty it's it doesn't hold your hand <laughs> so my personal just just to be a little bit more like uh like personal anecdote here i actually played um another dungeon crawler uh Elmenage Gothic before i played any experience ink game and that game is honestly like bullshit hard. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and I think that has forever like like what's the word? Biased my my challenge like reception on like how difficult these games are, because none of them are as difficult as that. And I that I I, I actually played that first. That was like my 
besides like at Train Odyssey. Actually, did I play that before at Train Odyssey? I think I did. That's you so, uh, training at 100 times gravity. I forget, <laughs> yeah, so like I kind of like I kind of like struggled my way through that game. And then playing other RPGs, like, oh, this isn't so bad, even though they might be pretty hard. <laughs> was uh, PSP or was it DS? Uh, it was originally a PSP 3DS game, but the okay. English localization was actually a PC port. Um, right. It, the funny thing is, apparently, like, other Elmenage games are not that hard. I think there's, like, Elmenage Original also on PSP and, and I, I uh, PC. I, play, I played a little bit of Gothic, and I was like, I had to dip out. I was like, huh. This is yeah, it's... It's literally bullshit hard. It's the it's the sort of thing where um, that game, just to be on a small tangent here, uh, random battles can be much more difficult than boss fights because, like in random battles, enemies can summon other enemies, and sometimes you'll just run into a a random battle where there's like twelve enemies, and then they'll just keep summoning more and more, and you're like, stop it! <laughs> yeah, imagine um, if every random encounter in a JRPG that you uh, encounter was like it was like the four to five waves of reinforcements. Yeah. Whereas a boss is usually just like one one acting enemy and maybe like a two sidekick, but they don't reinforce all the time. Um, so, anyways, so like I, I, that's the sort of game where it's like it was very challenging and honestly kind of bullshit. But yeah, uh, I'm about halfway through the game now. I think I've already encountered some. So this is a re-release. I've only played the original Vita version. Um, there was a second Vita version, and this is a re-release of that. Uh, I've already encountered some new content. It just, it seems to be like nothing like story critical or anything like that. It's just, you know, a dungeon crawler, like, oh, here's another dungeon floor with some more traps and monsters. This is Stranger of Fourth City Revisited that you're talking about. Yes. Yep. I think that's all I have to say. Yep. So I'm looking at the uh, other list of games here, and it's Monster Hunter listed several times. Uh, <laughs> to continue to tease the point, James does have a couple games mentioned really quickly that he also played, I assume, before Monster Hunter released a few days ago. Uh, but I guess he also did the review for it. So I guess I'll let just James, if you, you want to skip right into Monster Hunter, go ahead. But if you want to talk about the other games, you can do that too. I'll, I'll, you save, Monster Hunter. Yeah, I'll save Monster Hunter for later since obviously um, there's two other people in this uh, podcast that have been playing a ton of Monster Hunter uh, the last couple of days. Um, so... Yay Play finally came to Game Pass for PC, so I've been waiting for that to get around to playing Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Yes! Uh, back in 2019, I actually did play a couple of hours of it at a press event. I enjoyed it, and uh, because of that, I've I've always had it in the back of my mind that, yeah, I should get around to actually playing the full game and, like, finishing it. And uh, I'm not quite done with it yet. Um, probably I'll I'll be done with it this time next week. So a next podcast, but I'm pretty far in. I'd say maybe a little more than halfway, maybe closer to two thirds. I don't know. Um, How's your lightsaber looking? Oh, I'll give me it answers to where you are. It, I'm just going to uh, replace it. Ah, okay. Very, oh, yes. Okay, very cool. I feel cool. like I'm missing context I here. love this game so much. Like, I know, I know what you yeah, are. Yeah, I know exactly where you are now. <laughs> Am I right that it's about like halfway, two thirds in, or something like that? Yeah, yeah, you're close to the end. Yeah, you're like you're. you're, you're yeah, I would say two thirds. Yeah. Best bits coming up by far. Like this game. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, James. <laughs> just obviously my passion has overridden me, but like this game from as soon as you finish Kashyyyk, I was like, you know, this is this is pretty good. Still, probably the best Star Wars game in like years, but like 
you know, I'm not, I'm not blown away. And then that last, those last five or six hours, I was literally like this, I'm in love with styles again. I just want more of this. So one thing I'll say is that regardless of everything else about this game, Respawn nailed one thing and that's the set pieces. The set piece moments are just absolutely fantastic. They have a really good flow to them and they're paced well. Like they happen frequently enough that they do like keep the pace going, but they don't happen so often that it doesn't feel like you you're you're constantly doing them. Um, it ends up just being like noise. Yeah. Um I really enjoy it so far. Uh it's basically just a Metroidvania. I think that's fair to say. Um yeah, 3D yeah. Metroidvania. I mean, it even had like the map itself is basically ripped right out of Metroid Prime. So but uh <laughs> It's a uh, re- master is coming any day now. Yeah, hopefully. Um, any day <laughs> combat's all right, but I feel like Ooh. that's the one main thing that they can improve with a sequel is uh, a bit of the controls and the combat responsiveness. Yes, absolutely. Like, and like wall There's running never wall running doesn't feel as good as it should. I, hate, I hated the platforming. I liked the game. I hated the platforming in it, though, especially during some of the escape sequences in it. Like, there, there's sometimes, like, in my experience, like, they were just, it was like nearly launch state when I played this. And there were just, like, some platforms that, like, uh, Cal, the protagonist, just wouldn't, like, act at, like, it wouldn't, like, reach it or wouldn't, like, activate the state where it would, yeah. like. There act- was one, there was one specific platforming section on uh zepho where you did two wall run jumps or was it three and then you try you have to jump and try and grab onto a vine or a rope or something and i had to do it like they never work yeah and i'm sure like just specifically saying that like there's a couple on zepho but there was one specifically and it's like one of the early ones where it just took me several tries to get it to land right it was just like uh, kind of annoying. That, that, to hear that, that that's still a thing, it's like, oh, they didn't fix that? Yeah, so if there's one piece of advice, it would be definitely go back. Um, I went through the trophy list, and there was this one that mentioned this hidden area on Kashyyyk, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe it's just some dumb little reference, or maybe it's just like a, a room with a skill point in, but no, like it's a, it's a significantly sized map that has like some really cool things in there. Uh, when you do it, you'll know what I mean. I don't know if Josh knows what I mean. From me saying it like kind of cryptically, but it's a uh, really cool I, area. Yeah, I think. I, yeah, I love that game so much. Ugh. It's not. No, bad, they have confirmed that they are working on a sequel, right? Is that true? I think so I think they they're, they they've mentioned it. Like, yeah, well, like there's probably a follow up to it, especially with the way it's sold. I it's hard to imagine that they aren't. I mean, it sold so well that it convinced EA to give single player games a chance again. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Jedi. you. Wars and respawn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it's really good. It's one of those games where it does have issues, but like the overall package and the fact that like they got this out in a relatively quick time span for like a triple A game for a genre that Respawn hasn't really done anything in. It's like there are issues, but overall it's it's great. It's one of those games where it's like, I'm glad it happened. Uh, I feel like I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but it definitely feels like... um out of the the like 
broader franchises, most recent pieces of media. Well, obviously now, like people really like um, the Mandalorian and all that, but it feels like Fallen Order before that was like the one piece of media that all these Star Wars fans were like, finally, some good fucking food. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's exactly how I felt coming away from it. Set a sequel to that game. I I, I hope they nail it like out of the park. It yeah. has so much potential to just and really one thing. So some last minute, um, some last thoughts. Um the visuals in the game are absolutely insane. The the uh like artists, like the environmental artists on this game, absolutely nailed it. There's only like so many planets in the game, but the way that they make it so that even on the same planet you have areas that while they feel like they belong on that planet they look visually distinct enough to feel like separate like zepho like when you first land there there's like all these hills there's like these temples and whatnot then later on there's the this huge crash site of this giant ship and it's just it's really good really really yeah. good and the uh, whole design of them the way you navigate through them it's like it has like a really good like flow to how you navigate these pieces like okay the, the environmental p this environmental piece leads to this area it makes sense of how it came to that just the way yeah it, it's so it's so good how, how they piece I, it together um this isn't a problem with the pc port but uh, it seems like it's a problem for every version but the stuttering is kind of uh unfortunate mm -hmm. um so even on a high-end pc and i even like kind of mentioned this like earlier this week uh, on the staff uh, uh, voice chat when I was like streaming it. Um, so I have a Ryzen 9 5900X and RX 6900 XT rig. The game itself is installed on a Gen 4 PCIe SSD. I still get the, the loading stutters. I still get the random frame drops, even though my GPU and CPU utilization, even on a per core basis, isn't being maxed out. And it's not just my rig because I've even seen people mentioning this that have a have an i9 10900k and a and an RTX 3090 having the same problem. So for whatever reason, this game's engine, it's asset streaming. It's Unreal Engine 4. So apparently, I've heard things like about asset streaming being a problem, and maybe the sequel will be better about this because they'll have more experience with the uh, engine. But it's it's frustrating because like. 90% of the time, I'm like a locked 120 plus FPS on max settings at 1440p, which is amazing. It's really nice, like the fluidity and the smoothness of it. <clears throat> but so frequently, just often enough to be annoying, you get those loading stutters and then you just get the hitches that aren't because of my hardware, but they're because of the engine. And it's frustrating because it's like, I can see how well the game can run, but there's moments where the software is just not holding up. I had a similar issue with uh, Horizon's PC port where, surprisingly enough, despite how much flack that one got when it released, I ran it pretty well with the exception that there was like a hitch every time the UI updated. So every time like a quest, like objective got crossed out or whatever, it hitched and I'm like, stop updating quests. Like, I don't want to see this anymore. Yeah. That's a different engine, though. That would have been a, what, Decima? Is that the right one? Decima. And I think I'm the only one here that's played Death Stranding on PC, so it's not the Decima engine's fault, because... Right, because Death Stranding was... Um, Death Stranding's basically. PC port is fantastic. So. I was going to say, like, it's a high watermark, really. Yep. Uh, 
I'll talk about Monster Hunter in a bit, uh, but I guess I'll go from one Metroidvania to another. I finally played Axe and Verge this week. And what? Just curious, what prompted this? Was it on Game Pass, or did you just like decide? No, I. So I I decided there was a reason why I wanted to play it. Um, So I think I mentioned in the past I'm in this like Discord server where people like it's we try and play 52 games a year and sometimes we have like monthly games that we vote on and play and then like quarterly games and whatnot the monthly game for march was axiom verge i didn't know what to play and i was like i've owned axiom verge since god i don't even remember when i got it whenever this is this is how i'll date it so GameStop had this deal with IndieBox back in like 2017 or maybe a bit earlier than that, where they had piece like boxed PC versions of indie games that they sold at their stores. But most GameStops didn't have a PC section, so they had nowhere to place these. So you didn't even know they had them in stock unless you went online and checked. As a result of that, eventually my at the time local GameStop once the um, like system like flagged these games for clearance, they just showed up on the floor for like five bucks a pop. So I got the Axiom Verge physical um like Games Trust indie box thing, which has the DRM free like installer for the game, a soundtrack CD, a Steam code, a manual slash art book, and a seal book for five bucks. So that's when I picked it up because nice. I. I figured, well, that's a steal. Might as well, even if I don't end up playing it, it's like a nice little thing to put on my shelf. What? And I'm it's five bucks. So I picked it up then. Hadn't played it, which is funny because I feel like I'm generally a pretty big fan of Metroidvanias. Um, so yeah, that was uh, this uh, kind of Discord group's monthly game. So I figured, you know what? I don't want to keep playing uh, Fallen Order right now because I'm only on my laptop right now, which is sixty frames per second. So it's like. I'll play something that I'm not really missing out on anything for playing it on my laptop. So just sat down, played it. 60 frames per second. I'm just giving you a hard time. So has anyone else played Action Verge here or no? I've played it. I haven't. Okay. So Josh, did you like it or not like it? I I have fond memories of it. I actually liked the experience. Uh, Like uh, I really liked the way the just general art style, its general vibe. I I think I think it didn't click with me until you got the um, the ability to like reprogram enemies and and got the clutch gun. Yeah, yeah. Um, So there was a after I finished it, I looked through the negative Steam reviews to figure out if it was just me or if there was other people that had the same thoughts. There was this one team review that basically summed up my thoughts saying that I, I started Axiom Verge liking it, but by the time I was over with it, I actually kind of hated it. Mm. Um, I feel like, so obviously every like Metroidvania is going to have backtracking, but the way that it works in Axiom Verge feels so obtuse and so yeah. annoying. It's like, it feels <laughs> like they made that one central area where you can just quote unquote fast travel between points and use that as an X. Ex- and since that was there, they didn't want to make it easy, any easier for you to jump from one end of the map to the other. Whereas if I were going to make one change to the game, I would say make it so that the save rooms allow you to teleport. Absolutely. Like it, it, it I hope, I hope the sequel improves upon that. It, so to, to contextualize this, there, there are in like almost met like old, 
old school metroidvania fashion like it's easy to get lost in that game than to understand like what your next objective is or where to go next so like by the back half of that game like there are certain like places where you need to go specifically but it's hard to know exactly how to get there and the way that the the, the map is designed it doesn't give you like the best like tells of like where you should go next and and you, so the way that fast travel works in this game from what i remember is like you have this like gigantic like head or something or mechanical head that has a platform on top of it and then like you have to go on that platform and wait for it to like wait for it to like make stops along the way because those yeah. stops have like linked to several different sections of the map i'd also say that as cool as some of the power-ups are i feel like well first off the way that not so much dashes but the way that you can phase through walls and then eventually it becomes a dash works it's bad it's really, really bad. The fact mm-hmm. that you have to double tap on your D-pad and wait for like a second for you to phase through a wall when it, that should have just been a button press. It should have been a button press. It. Yeah, they're definitely like like uh, <clears throat> weird design decisions that like back then it was like for me like like I said when I look back I like I remember it fondly, but I remember like you know I did have experience frustration with it like trying to find like the proper way and like. And what you're saying too is like there are definitely weird design decisions, like the way it controls as well, that you would hope, you know, but like it, it's cool that it was made and hopefully that the sequel improves upon everything that we're saying. Yeah, it's it's not that it's a bad game, it's just that it was a frustrating one, especially yeah. this one boss fight. Like most of the boss fights were actually pretty decent, I'd say, except for one. And I bet you know which one I'm gonna talk about. The uh... damn wasp. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that is a bad boss fight. It is it, poorly designed. Yeah, so the, the way that this wasp maneuvers, like, obviously, there's a lot of aerial maneuvers it does, but you don't have the tools. You don't have, like, like sufficient tools to really, like, get to deal deal with its cycles. Like, you, you have this, like, you, you, you have, like, a decent amount of, like, things that can shoot from you, but the way it's at the, at the angles that the wasp moves, it, like, it makes it a frustrating battle. yeah. And it, it feels like some of the bosses were designed where it's like, for the vast majority of the game, I didn't feel any real need to use more than like one or two of the uh, weapon types. Mm-hmm. But then some of the bosses are like, oh, ho, ho, you need to use X weapon or you are just not going to deal any damage. So for like the, bo- the uh, bee or wasp, it feels like, oh, you need to use the shot that phases through enemies so you can actually hit its weak point when it opens its mouth. And then there's like one where it's like you need to duck and shoot the uh, the um, the one weapon that is one big ball. And then if you press the attack button again, it bursts into like uh, a six way like kind of nuke and uh-huh. stuff like that. It's like and I don't think on paper that's bad, but I feel like if they were going to put much more of an emphasis in the boss fights with forcing you to switch between different weapons. I feel like they should have found a way to manage that with the regular enemies more too. I, I also, I also remember just obviously I'm, I can't remember like much about the statistics of the game, but I remember struggling with the final boss of this game for a bit too. Like the, like the final phase of that, because you have to like move to different platforms and the way that projectiles were moving on screen at that time. I was like, Oh man, this is a lot. And, and, and navigating back to that final boss fight took like, a decent amount of time as well every try oh yeah like especially near the very end of the game i'd say that the 
the game kind of gives up with enemy designs and they just have it so that they're flying amorphous blobs that come and like shoot a bunch of bullets or have a laser that basically rotates around them and it's hard to, yeah, to yeah, dodge and it's just like yeah just uh and you don't really have adequate like again weapons to deal with them because there's no way to like really slow them down like in metroid you would have the ice rocket which would let you like give you a moment to reposition yourself you don't get anything like that in axiom verge and for as much movement abilities you eventually get at the end it's just I don't know. I, I definitely feel like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of room for the sequel to improve, yeah. and I hope it does. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting it at launch. I I, I I gotta wait to hear like what people think about I, it, and not, I, and not just people that enjoyed Axiom Verge, but people that like me that yeah. had real issues with the game design. Yeah. So I, I'll probably uh, still get that. It being said, that being said, buy Axiom Verge to support the developer because uh, there's that whole thing with his uh, son. It's uh, really unfortunate, and it, it's a one-man team. Even if I have issues with the game, it's obvious that a lot of love and attention was put into it, and that family has gone through enough. Yeah, uh, I, I'm interested because the, the like they're not to skip ahead in the news because you know the, there was this whole future game show, but there was like a, a new glimpse of Axiom Verge two and uh, footage and whatnot. But uh, it, it was interesting to see that this um, the sequel is going to be a prequel to this one. It's not going to be like it takes place in the same universe, but I don't know how directly linked they are story-wise. But the this new protagonist that they have, like uh, I, I think she has a, a melee weapon now, so it's interesting to see what More kind Castlevania, of Castlevania, less Metroid. Yeah, yeah, what kind of changes that'll bring and whatnot. And hopefully now that there's like a, it's very focused, like a snowy planet or snowy environment. Like you were saying, hopefully there's like ways to slow enemies down if they're gonna go that. There direction. is someone listening to this podcast that just hates the word metroidvania <laughs> and, I, and i'm sorry <laughs> that's what the that's what the industry has accepted we, we're we can't change it well yeah, i i just think of it as like a nice heuristic where it's like if i need to explain what type of game this is in two words or one word whatever like you can use that as like your launching point and then you kind of dial in from there to say like it has an art style similar to x or a whatever similar to y but like that's all i think of it like i'm not saying this game is at like or similar or better or worse than those other series but just it's just it's just kind of setting the table as like yeah. what sort of game you're talking about i i guess it's a final thought to this when they were uh, throwing off the sequel footage as well they d- showed some more like behind the scenes in development stuff it was like it was kind of cool to see like how fleshed out that the uh this world is like from the planning stages like the the developer obviously like you know has a lot of ideas that they want to present through the several games and it was, it was cool to see that like a lot of like this like world building like visually was actually sketched on just paper with a pencil and it's like oh hmm. that's really cool sometimes it's nice just to have a little bit of a analog record yeah. keeping or note taking i'm still uh, for some reason i don't know if it's just me but i, I just like a big fan of like our story like archives of things or like in development things i'm just like still in physical me like things you know not everything is done digitally it's just like there's an actual like there's a paper trail physical paper trail on it and there's Literally a place but not just like a directory on a drive right so is that enough preamble or is it monster hunter time let's do yeah this. um so i'm gonna ask george since this is well you played world george right 
Yeah, but like 20 hours, which we all know is like baby time for Monsanto. Okay, well, I'm going to have George introduce this because he's the uh, babby. He's the like new like Monster Hunter player. <laughs> oh, God. All right, okay. George. Right. Spotlight. Let's do this. Monsanto Rise is the best Monsanto game ever made. Um, the Wirebug <laughs> is incredible. Um, there is a dancing monster now, and here's my spirit animal. And I finally have friends to play it with. It sounds really lonely, but like by choice now. Uh, yeah, yeah, out of context, so, I finally have friends to play it with. It's just like, <laughs> oh man. I love it you. though. It's, it is fantastic. Um, I don't know how far I'll get into it. I don't know if I'll stick with it until rank seven. I don't know if I'll give up at four, but I'm, you know, I'm really, really glad I'm playing it. Yeah, it's been, it's been very fun, you know, pl- playing with others, especially in here. Like, you know, a lot of uh, your time uh, playing it, George has been with me and Alex. All Seenhouse. of it, yeah, all of it has been with you, Alex Seenhouse. Yeah. Um, it's okay. So let, let's uh, preface this. Obviously, Monster Hunter Rise, the newest entry in the Monster Hunter series. Uh, as for now, Switch only coming to PC next year. Um, I've I'm very impressed with what they've done uh, with this release. Uh, I think uh, before before we really get into it, I will say, screw you, Capcom, for really screwing up the digital midnight unlock of this game. <laughs> All right. Oh, I, so they I literally they literally waited until a minute after midnight to say, "Oh yeah, it's coming out in a, in a few more hours." <laughs> Me and a good circle of my friends, and I'm sure a lot of Monster Hunter fans in the North America. Or like, let's go. Like, you know, the Switch is really good about digital midnight unlocks for big games. And it, it released midnight for other territories just fine. Japan, Russia, Europe, and whatever. whatever. Every other region feels like they got their digital midnight unlock easy, easily. And then Capcom's like, yeah, it's the, not unlocking to like 1 a.m. Pacific in North America, 4 a.m. Eastern. Because, you know, and there's like a announced a minute after midnight, as James said. And I was like... Oh my god! What the hell? I'm like, all right, all right. And I, I, I'll admit, I took the day off work uh, to, for this uh, release. So I'm like, all right, fine. So, but I woke up on uh, Friday the, of the release at like 4:30 a.m. and I swear, within that day alone, I played maybe 13 or 14 hours of this Oof. game. So and, I was working on Friday, and I I poked into the Discord, and like in the morning, Josh was there, and then. Late in the afternoon after lunch, Josh was there. And then I kind of like cheekily said something like, don't you guys have jobs? But then I was just kind of like, man, that's mean because like I've done it. I've taken off days to play at lunch. So like I, <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I understand. Be you. Like, go mm-hmm. go and do it. Do the thing. Do the yep. damn thing. Uh, I, I played with a good chunk of our, you know, the members here. I played with James. I played with George here on the podcast. I played with another uh, contributor to the site, uh, Kazuma Hashimoto. I did it with him. Played with Alex Seedhouse from Nintendo Insider. Played with a lot of other friends. Um, I've been enjoying this game a whole bunch, and I'm I'm so eager to play more of it. I'm so I'm very happy with like how easy it is now to just get it to multiplayer. It's like back in the old Monster Hunter days where they separate single player and multiplayer progress. But like it, but since of the with the wonders of modern technology. It feels like that barrier has like become even easier. You'd have to wait for back in world where you had to like go to this quest and like, all right, you have to go see the one-time cutscene to introduce this monster. And then after you both see that cutscene, now you can join each other. It's like this one's just, hey, you know what? From the get-go, like before before I even did the tutorial mission to teach you the controls, 
they just you just have to go to this NPC at the new uh, Kabura village, this cat NPC. It's like, hey, you know, here's, here's how you do the network features, and then just go at it so people can just join you and do like a four-digit passcode, and then you guys are all together. The gathering hub is so, it's very compact, but it's very easy to move around. It's small, but there's it's dense. So all the important NPCs are in the gathering hub. Uh, it's just like, and then there's like another room uh, right by it that loads instantly. That's just like, hey, here's where you can craft your weapons. Here's how you do all your meow scenarios, which is to gather items and whatnot. So it's it, it's like it's so it feels so good to just like have get everything done at once uh, pre hunt, like from the get go. Uh, Monster Monster World, it it's it was too expansive, like uh, especially in base world where you had this main hub area that like took forever to get around in. And then and not only that, but uh, the gathering hub in base world was very lacking. They did improve it a bit in Iceborne. Yeah, but it was still kind of not there. And then and the and what sucked about it was like there was like still like loaded like considerable loading times, uh, going around it too. While this one just on the Switch version or the Switch release of Rise is like, yep, you're here, you're here, you're here. Get this done, this done, this done. Okay, we're ready to hunt. Let's go. And it's so it's so. I'm I'm so glad that like they took the worst parts about world. It's like you know what? Let's just make it better. <laughs> and here you go. And, uh, I saw I, some talk about a weird split between how story or quests work and how multiplayer quests work. Like you talked about the cutscene thing in world, which is, was frustrating, sec. But there, how does it work in Rise in terms of like single player progression? So in Rise, you have this uh, the village quests and hub quests. That's and, the two types of quests. I couldn't think. Of, I couldn't remember what they were called. Right. And, and village quests are all like the single player content with all the story. And hub quests are just, hey, you know, go hunt with your buddies and just do like these key quests. And then after you do these two key quests, you'll do like a a, a mission where you can co op with other people, and then um, and then you can advance a hunter rank. And that's that's all it is uh, from that. But uh, all the all the improvements that you make, uh, just advancing one or the other. Like if you advance hub quests, and then it'll you'll unlock like new, like menu stuff or new food stuff. Like all that uh, progression is still carried over into your village quest. So like uh, when you go back to the, like the village hub and you uh, unlock something, you'll still see all those village enhancements available to you. So it's not like a big, like. You're you're not you're not holding yourself back for doing one or the other, necessarily. But the the, the cutscene shuffling thing is gone. Yeah, they're, they're, you don't have to do cutscenes. The only thing that uh, uh, that you have to do is like if uh, if you're aiding like a new player, for example, for the first time, and they visit like a new region for the first time, there's this uh, brief cutscene that plays, and you can choose to skip it, but uh, everyone has to agree to skip it if you want to skip it. But other than that, it's you're still all together. And uh, th those cutscenes are so brief and whatnot. So there's no way. This, this, this is a tangent, but I yeah. remember like in Iceborne, I believe it was the Shara Ishvalda fight. Like Capcom actually has that cutscene designed where like it will change depending on how many hunters are with you. And each hunter has like, because part of the reason why the cutscenes didn't work earlier in multiplayer was because like only one person was animated and like i guess they couldn't figure out how to split that in a multiplayer session but then they made it so that on this fight if you brought in four people i think they might have also done this on the sabi jiva fight as well it would show like all four or three or two of your hunters but yeah, it would yeah. still have this weird like cumbersome it was a mess 
yeah, it still it still didn't feel like a great experience all around. And this because one, you still had to like do this weird like you've seen the cutscene, all right? Now leave your yep. quest and join mine and whatever. Yeah. It sounds like it's a way better in Rise. It's way yeah, it's definitely way better. Um, I think the one thing you do miss out on playing multiplayer a lot is there are uh, like the cutscene introductions for monsters. You only see them in single player, but the but those cutscenes are like awesome on their own because every single cutscene in this game like that introduces a new region or a new monster they're all japanese haikus so they have like this whole like ramp up to the escalation to them that like it's it's kind of neatly designed how the how they did that i've i've played uh, personally on japanese voices i don't know how it is in english or in monster hunter language how that how well that translates but you know because it's such a japanese setting this time around um it, it to me it makes sense seems appropriate they, yeah it seemed like a really Haikus seem like they could be inherently more interesting than World. The reason why I keep comparing it to World for context is it's the only one I've played. So sorry, I'm a. I'm sure there's a lot of this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in World, all the all of the uh, introductions is like, how many interesting ways can we have this dragon thing roar at you? That's <laughs> 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 pretty much all the monster introduction cutscenes in World. Which yeah. some of them are still great, but a little bit uh, the samey. Samey. That's the word for it. Yeah, um, George was got alluding to it earlier, and I kind of want to hear more of George's thoughts. Just you know, kind of like the, the big thing about this game, like uh, in relation to past monsters, is there's this new wire bug that he was talking about, where it really makes navigation and and fights so much more fluid because you're kind of you kind of have like this Spider-Man almost skill now, where you can like fling out this bug and then you can like kind of swing on it and you can uh, maneuver up and forward. And then every every single weapon has like like a total of four different uh, actions they can do with this wire bug. And the limitation of it is everyone has a limit of two wire bugs, but that they recharge over time after you use them. And then you can have a, you can find a, a temporary third wire bug out in the field, but you, it only lasts for a certain amount of minutes. But you know, so, some wire bug attacks consume one, some more stronger ones consume two. But it, it's the the cooldown is fast enough that like it you don't feel too bogged down by by missing them. It's like okay, they're up again and whatnot. So George, like, tell tell me about like your experience with the this new wire bug mechanic and how it affects your hunts now. Well, I just I think one of my favorite things to do in world was always to try and like get above a monster and then to run like. You'll run and then you'll jump and then you smack them and it always feels I don't know what it is the impact on that always feels incredible. Um, and my favorite thing that World introduced, at least I, I think it introduced, I was always pretty sure it introduced is like you'd react to the environment. So whenever you if you were like running down a hill, you'd slide. If you were like you could climb stuff a lot easier. Like I didn't think that was in previous Monster Hunter games, but it felt so good in World and it looked so cool to do. Um, and then the wire bug just feels like the natural evolution of that. So you're using this thing, and then I remember when we played the demo of it for casual mode. Like there were just times where one of us would like wire bug into the wall, and then you're like you're doing flips off the wall accidentally, a wall running, um, and then you can like jump off again. Uh, and I'm I'm a massive fan of movement systems in games. I think I've said this a, a billion times before. Um, and it just feels like a new thing to master, right? Like all these, I, I'm so far behind on Monsanto that a lot of my tactics are just run in, hit it, run away if it tries to hit me. But with the wire bug, like it lets players like me, or at least it lets me, you know, I, I feel like I'm doing something. I feel like I'm 
kind of I, I, look, I look cool almost like i'm sure it, it doesn't come off that way if you watch me play it like i'm just kind of darting around but it's just a a really cool mechanic and i again two months under games down like I, I can't really say much but i couldn't imagine a monster Hunter game without it now it is that much it is that cool of a mechanic the worlds are just so big now i remember i was playing with i think this was last night james like obviously james knows pretty much like where everything is but he he found this shortcut we're at the start of um one of the one of the maps at the start and james just starts like darting up the wall he's like using his wire bug to get up literally like spider-man i'm like oh well not up there so i much slower i follow him and i eventually get there and he's just he's just found this cave that like isn't marked on the map it just leads like it's like a tunnel it just leads to the other side of the map where everyone else was um and it's just this moment of like holy crap how big are these maps like how much <laughs> how many hidden tunnels and ways of doing stuff like that are there and it, it just made me appreciate the map design a whole lot more even if there's like even though there's not like tons and tons of maps each one is like its own you know you have to learn it like everything in this game you have to learn it and it, going back to one of my favorite games uh splunky my favorite thing about splunky was learning it was becoming the master of that game uh and i get that vibe from monster Hunter for the first time i don't know i don't know what it is that's clicked this time but i just feel like I'm taking it, it seems in like board. in general the game is not like compromised to much of any extent to being on Switch. No, in not terms at all. of size of the maps, draw distance, variety, all that stuff. Yeah, whatever new Nintendo network infrastructure they put into this game, there was some talk about it weeks back. Like the playing internationally, like with you know George and uh, Alex Seedhouse are both in Europe and whatnot, and playing with them, and, and Kazuma is in Germany. Like it wasn't like we played together it wasn't like a big deal you know like sure there'll be like some teleporting like like when they're like traveling to like one one place to the next but it doesn't really compromise like the real meat of the game which is fighting the monster and reacting together and like devising strategies together of like how to take this thing down like there's not like a big like oh no like uh there's there's uh, input george's link. wi-fi didn't let you down <laughs> it didn't break it like guilty gets strong yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's like it's it it feels good to just play online together and whatnot. And there's not really a crazy compromise experience from that end. Uh, James, you're the one who reviewed it, both a video review and a written review, like a massive. I want to hear about the video review because that's not something our site does often. But then yeah. James, as he was reviewing this game, he just said, "I want to do this," and then he did it. Yep. Well. I mean, I was also the, I think I was the last person to do a video review before this too, because I did the Hero Must Die again review. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I don't know. It just feels like I like the idea of video reviews. And even though it's a lot more work, it's, it's fulfilling in a way because you have to put a lot more thought into how you're how your words come across because it's not just going to be on a page you also need to have like visuals to kind of like back it up and stuff like that it's basically um, like self-substantiating like if i say something is true about this game or some feeling about this game i have how do i visually identify that do i have the footage that matches that or do i need to go get it and i i'm not an expert i did like three or four video reviews back like circa 2017 and 2018 and you having done this one for Monster Hunter Rise has kind of like made me you know when can I do that again yeah I should, so, I should make that a goal for the year and 
I don't think it's any surprise to folks that are listening to the podcast that as a site, at least a couple of us want to have a bit more of a focus on video, even if it's a side thing still, like to just make it so that the YouTube isn't just rotting away with nothing but random trailers uploaded to it, maybe once every like month or so. But well, um, every, obviously we're all hobbyists here. So anything we do, we do out of our own. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So basically the moment has to be right. We have to get the review code early enough where we have the time and resources to do it, all that stuff. So, you know, this, yeah, is, this, is, this, that... this was obviously born out of RPG site was born out of a fan site in many ways, still, still has that identity. So just some, just for some context. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on Monster Hunter Rise? Like, just after playing, like, what, 70 hours of it, you said? 75 at this point, I think. Something like that. Uh, my Switch, uh, when I go to my, like, full library view, it says it's now the uh, game I've played the longest on Switch. And I think I put, like, That's 73 crap. hours into Xenoblade 2 or something like that. So it's, like, so it's Until over that Until Xenoblade Cross gets its port. <laughs> uh, I'll just keep playing it on, unless they add like <laughs> substantial new content. I'll just keep playing it on Semu. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, yeah, um, yeah. So obviously, I very much enjoyed Rise. Uh, my main problem stemmed from the fact that there isn't really a proper end game yet. Mm-hmm. Which, for the vast majority of people playing the game now, you haven't even gone to the end game. So, you, so obviously, not many people can kind of see what I mean yet. Um, I'll also say on a more personal level, I, I really enjoy the game and it does. And I do think the wirebug system is fantastic. It makes the gameplay a lot more fluid. It's objectively a better game than some of the previous monster hunter games, but on a personal level, it feels weird because when I got started with the series, it was all like, it was methodical. And there, yes, there was a lot of guff that you had to kind of like work around. Like you had to bring wet stones. You had to make sure that you uh, brought hot drinks and cool drinks, which by the way, those aren't even a thing in Rise anymore. Like you go into the Frost Islands, like your 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 character, even if you're wearing like a really thin layer, apparently they're like just built different because they don't need to have anything like insulation. <laughs> yeah, but um. Even back then, you had to bring paintballs because, you, like, you, even paintballs. like, like, and it's like a monster would like, go to another zone that you have to load into, and then you had to have a map, and there were monsters that could steal your map, so it'd be ah, yeah, you had to bring there, you had to bring uh, multiple different pickaxes as well, depending on you had to bring nets, you had to bring uh, oh, even back in Freedom Unite, like it used like now, if you're on a gathering point, it'll say, hey, you can press the A button here to gather. That wasn't added until Portable Third and Try and Freedom Unite. You just had to be on top of some place where you know you can gather and then just spam the gather button. And it's like, I know I sound like a boomer saying this, but (laughs) there was there was a charm to being forced to kind of like envision yourself in the world and be like, that looks like that looks like someplace you can gather. I'm going to do it. Or it's like, that looks like a shortcut. I'm going to go there and stuff like that. And the fact that you had to to world, like, like gathering points, you just have to tap a once now, like one tap of like a mining ax to an ore uh, ore pile. It's just like you get all the items. It's not like in world where you have to like uh, hold it down and it'll it'll hit it multiple (laughs) times. It's one tap now. And then you get all the resources. Yeah. And again, I know 
that for most people, this isn't going to be a thing. And it's still a fantastic game. It's just, at this point, I feel like it's safe to say that Monster Hunter as a series is a very different type of experience as it was back on the PS2 and the PSP and even the Wii. It's mainstream. Even, yeah, it's mainstream. It's polished. But I do enjoy Bryce. It's really fantastic. And, like, again, my main problems are the lack of endgame. And, like, as, like updates come in and like it that gets fleshed out and when the inevitable expansion happens like I, I even said this is probably going to eventually become my favorite game in the series but there are aspects of it where it's like i look back on the you previous games convenience mm. <laughs> this is reminiscent of the like i, I get you because i I, I started with like really old monster as well but this also reminded me of like uh, me the nocturne thing the nocturne thing is back back at the last podcast about you know now it has like a quality of life feature to manually select skills. Now, instead of back then, where you just have to basically win the lottery of their skill selection when you uh, enter the Cathedral of Shadows, it's it's reminiscent of that conversation, and I I feel that too because, like as you said, like you really became more immersed and invested in the game's like like each subsystem because you had to either find the guide or learn it like organically of like oh you can do this obviously for. Like the legacy of Monster Hunter back then and the old ones, like there's just guides on guides on guides on top of guides of like, here's how you do things, or like here's where each like node is on the map. And like, you because it wouldn't obviously show you, uh, you know, otherwise, yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, I, again, (laughs) it's like you said, I can't justify this to people. It's just, (laughs) it's just one of those things that if you played back then, and you got invested in the series back then like I did. And and I'm sure part of it comes down to the, to the way that I get, got introduced with Monster Hunter, where back on the PSP, unless you lived in Japan, you weren't playing multiplayer with anyone. Yes. You didn't have anyone to, you didn't have any guides to go to. Gaijin Hunter wasn't a thing until after Portable 3rd. So I got into the series before he did. <laughs> and it's just like, ugh. Real ones played with a claw back then, all right? Now here's the real here's the real yeah here's the real cross for me the bear I got so used to the Monster Hunter claw on the PSP (laughs) that uh, when I played try I specifically did the claw with the pro control the uh, classic controller pro when I got three ultimate I used my Wii classic controller pro so I could claw I again I know I know when you say claw, do you mean like the way you're holding your controller? Because that, that's how yes. I hold controllers normally. Yeah, yeah. it hurts. <laughs> oh, you're built basically, for this. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, on the PSP, since um, if you wanted to be able to control the camera while also controlling your character movement, you had to kind of claw your index finger on top of the D-pad on the PSP because the camera controls for left, right, up, down are based off of the D-pad. Yes. Oof. And yeah. there was no lock on. Yep. Uh, I can only imagine George's mindset is like, "Wow, you're nightmare people. Who, who are <laughs> no, you?" No, actually, I was thinking when it's it's almost it's really really interesting to hear you say that and to talk about like this game is objectively getting more accessible and arguably better, but that takes something away for it from it for you. Like that is so like. That is genuinely so interesting to hear. Um, 
and it almost makes me feel bad. Like when I'm playing it, I'm like, oh, this game smack monsters with heavy weapons. Like for for James, clearly, like it means a lot more. And for me, I almost feel like I take it for granted in a way. Like I take for granted the fact that I can do all this stuff, and it's so much easier now. Um, and that's just a really unique viewpoint to have. I think that's just generally really interesting. Well, I have a similar, but obviously to a lesser extent, experience with going from world to Iceborne. I remember in early world, I would constantly have expeditions where I'd go get honey so I could make mega potions, or I would fight Otto Garin and his type of monster to get, I think it's like nourishing extract to make max potions and ancient potions, or some type of like better potion. And like, I actually had to like manage that resource. And if you ask Adam, like he would say like a key part of any good RPG, whether or not you consider Monster Hunter and RPG aside, is resource management. But then in Iceborne, they added like this smithy mechanic thing, which basically is just like an in-universe way for them to just shower you with stuff. You just get like gobs and gobs of mega potions and yeah. potions and tranquilizers. And like eventually it, it stops ending up being like a mechanic at all. You just, your box has more than you'll ever need. You just top off, you go to your loadout and you have as many as you'll ever want. And you never have to think about gathering that resource again. So I thought, like, even within the same game, I lost yeah. something there. Go ahead. I feel like the best way to kind of des- to describe the gulf in um, quality of life features that World has compared to, like, um, how it was in Freedom Unite. So, you know, the way the Meow scenarios work, you just send out cats to, like, gather materials and stuff, and you basically have them, like, go on a, a set track and... You just, after like a certain number of hunts, they're back, you get your materials, there's no active input from you. The way things worked in Freedom Unite is that you had a specific farm, and there was there was like mining nodes on one side where you had to specifically mine them yourself. There was an actual farm where you had to specifically gather them yourself. There was things that you could do, like you could set it up where... Um, it was easier for you to get one thing from X, Y, Z, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there was like a separate gathering node for mushrooms. There was a tree where you have to time it to gather insects. You did have a cat you could send out to gather stuff, but it wasn't like the meow scenarios and was like only one, like one thing. And it's like you every time you have to go back and send them out every single time. It's as much extra work and fluff that seems like how much as much as that might seem like extra work and fluff now back then it really did contextualize the fact that you are specifically every piece of material in your arsenal every piece of equipment that you eventually craft you know exactly where you got that material yeah, like can you like, imagine like uh for for George like imagine us like doing a Ra- a Rathian fight in Rise, like back then you had to like spend like maybe forty forty five minutes even maybe an hour like starting to like gather materials for that fight of like Holy all crap. right like uh, like uh, this is gonna be a big fight we need to be really prepped up for this fight you know so you have to go through go through all that manual labor almost of like all right i need to like this amount of like uh pots and this amount of like stamina pots this amount of this and this amount of this just to like survive this fight and like that's made it like more special back then all in, in a way of like like this was the fight so yeah i, I have to be prepared built for I'm, this. i'm gonna sound like a zoomer here um which is weird because i have played once you're, you're, but, like you're just balancing it out for us <laughs> it, for me like 
doing what I have to do for a fight and rise even. Like, oh man, I have to remember to eat, and oh man, I have to remember to like press this one button to restock. Like to me, that seemed like work. I was like, oh, you know, it's effort. And now I'm looking at, it, I'm like, uh, yeah, sorry guys, it's, it's yeah, hundreds it's, of uh, hours. Yeah, things are are different now, but it's fine. You know, like a lot more people are enjoying it. Having like, you know, because the, at the at the core of Monster Hunter, what people really want to be doing is fighting the monsters. You know, yeah. And and again, I'm not saying that Monster Hunter should go back to this. I'm just saying from a personal standpoint. It's different now. Yeah. Yeah. And I can always go back to Freedom Unite if I hate myself. <laughs> Same. But it's going to be weird. By the way, you... earlier I said uh, Smithy, but I meant Steamworks. I said the wrong thing. Right. Sorry. Yeah. It's okay. Um, it's going to be weird now because, you know, like, we're, like e- not even just the wire bug, like the just having the Palamute now, the dog variant of Palicos, essentially, they're, they're, they're the new creature in Rise. Like they really change things up in terms of navigation because they really make uh, navigation very snappy. Since they don't have like a stamina bar, you just like call them, you ride them. I've yet to see a person online that's used the uh, Palico instead of the Palamute just because Uh, of the extra mobility. Yeah, Yeah, like a a friend of mine like has been trying to do the Palico, but he's always uh, trying like like. Wait for me. The weird weird thing about Palamute is that, uh, especially when you're grouping it with four players, is that they uh participate in battle so it becomes more uh, there's a lot more things on screen going on hitting the monster and whatnot and for and for some palamutes they have a, a, a the default weapon is like this chain like weapon which can actually like hit other people and you like interrupting your attack so like me and like another circle of friends have already been like okay what's the best way to still have this palamute but not it, uh, not have it interrupt in battle and whatnot. Because now we're just wishing that it didn't like take part in battle with us. Because there's so many other things on screen. There's even there's even like a like the default settings for like uh, hit effects is like is crazy, especially when you're uh, fighting with other three other players. Because th- there's so many particle effects going on that there's like a, a setting now uh, where you can like make these uh, hit effects less, and that's the more preferable option because now you can actually see what in in the world is going on when you're up close with the monster and everyone's hitting it as well so that's been a big big like change for me just recently which is like lessening those hit effects and making it and uh, equipping my palamute so it's not like having this chain sickle weapon it has like these ninja scrolls so it's taking out a more like support-ish role in combat so it's not getting in the way so much as well as uh the camera distance option that i didn't even know was in uh rise until like this morning of just uh like scaling the camera back so i have a bigger more uh, wider view of like everything going on so but you know the convenience of having a palamute even though there's like these inconveniences in the way of combat like the the way you utilize it out of combat is so so key because of getting uh navigating from one place to the next it's so it's so fast it can climb up vines so fast and then you can sharpen uh on on the back of it as well so like you're still mobile as you're sharpening and whatnot fairly quickly, and then it's just the the any any cons it has, it like vastly is vastly outweighed by the pros uh, of just having it uh, going around. And now now thinking forward of like, what does the Monster Hunter series look like after Rise with new installments without the wire bug or without the Palamute? Are they still gonna, are they now core features of the Monster Hunter series, or how are they gonna? Like advance forward without these like new mechanics that make it so much more enjoyable to play just like rapidly. 
Well, that is a good question. I, just to see, like, what what do you think will carry forward? Because, like, what what does what does Rise have that World dropped? Or sorry, what does what does Rise have that was dropped from World? Like the Clutch Claw obviously is not a thing in Rise, which was kind of like a big selling point of Iceborne. So it but, could easily go on that whatever follows Rise doesn't have Palamutes. The funny thing is that the clutch, the, those Clutch Claw mechanics are still in Rise with the Wire Bug because now ah, I see. Yeah, like since you have these silk bite attacks, uh, after you uh, hit them enough, they become rideable. So you can actually ride monsters, kind of like Monster Hunter stories, oddly enough, in in Rise. And then now, when you're riding them, uh, you can have you can do like a light attack, heavy attack, and you can like bash them into the walls. Just like how you would do with the Clutch Claw in Iceborne to to kind of stun them after like three bashes into the wall. Or you can have the ride them into other monsters. And just have them duke it out and do a lot of damage and have them have mats fall out of them as they're fighting, uh, uh, duking it out and whatnot. And so, in a way, the Clutch Claw didn't really leave. Like, it's just recontextualized in a different way in Rise. Yeah, but like, uh, right now, just uh, with where I am in Rise, like, I, obviously, I'm going to get to that point where there'll be no like endgame content. I have to wait for like monthly updates and whatnot. Like, like they already said uh, recently, like the next big update for this won't be till like late April, and that will—I don't know if that's going to finish the story or whatever that is. But I, I'm having a, a like a, just progressing right now. It's been a lot of fun. The the changes they made to it are very smart. Makes uh, hunts like you know much more mobile and uh, very flashy and exciting. And while I'm not the biggest fan of like what they. Like this new rampage mechanic is the one of the things in Rise that the you know it's kind of its own like thing. Where now you have like this tower defense section where there'll be hordes of monsters coming in, and then you have to do these installation platforms. You like there'll be like auto turrets you can set up, or you can have multiple turrets that you can set up to fend off this horde mode type deal, or like have these limited time like heroes from the village come up and they they're super powerful to fend off this horde. Like this rampage world is like it's okay. It's a lot better than what they what had world had was the Zora Magdros or whatever sections where they were just the siege awful. battles. Yeah, yeah, the siege battle. They were just like bad because they were the to for people who don't know in world like there's these uh, story quests where you had to fend off this gigantic monster uh, coming, but it was like it was very slow to approach. So you're kind of just waiting around, uh, firing off cannonballs towards it, and then. When it comes, you have to mount the monster and actually navigate through this like terrain on this monster. And you have to go find these cores. And after these cores, you have to like go to like to the front of it and and whatever. And like these, these it almost are... sounds more interesting on paper than it. It's it's really a slog, trust me. <laughs> yeah, it really is a slog. <laughs> so uh, they're better than those, but the bar is so low to like be better than that. It's like you know the rampages at least are more exciting but they're they're still kind of of a drag and it's more fun with more people if you do these single player i imagine it's like oh yeah i couldn't imagine doing them single player it's just be did you do these single player uh james uh the um rampages? the uh rampages uh yeah i did the uh the first high rank one solo and that was a nightmare this this is the the first apex uh monster yeah. oh yeah. god yeah me and uh yeah alex did it like last night i think and that was ah yeah, I, well i helped you guys with it oh yeah you did that's right sorry <laughs> <laughs> but, um yeah. yeah um that's why i said like 
I do think that Rampages eventually lose their luster a bit, mostly because you always have the same, like, things you can drop into nodes, and there's no real, like, separate maps. There's just the one map. Uh, yeah. I feel like if they even just added a different map with some changes there, or even made it so that for endgame ones, there are separate, like, uh, gates leading into a central one so if you're playing in multiplayer you ha you maybe want have might want to have like two people on one like path and like two people on the other like there's ways for them to improve it and make it a lot more interesting and maybe they'll do that with with uh, content updates but i definitely feel like um as it is now it does it, it starts out fun and like the first couple of times you do it with a group of friends it's really really fun it's really entertaining but then you start to see, oh yeah, it, it's basically the same. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's. I don't I don't know what's like the right answer for this. Obviously, you know when you think about the Monster Hunter development team, like obviously they want the, the like the core experience is still there, but they also want to shake it up, like in the context of the story of like what can we do to like kind of mix it up, make it different, and like those attempts to do that have largely been you know it's been more of a drag more so than like bringing excitement to it, and it's it's a hard question to solve but i think it's it's really impressive i really like that uh in comparison to world there's a lot more monster skeletons like you have like the bears now like the goss harag was one of the new monsters they've been uh, showing in the trailers like this snow ice bear that can like uh get out ice blades uh throughout the fight and that's a really funny monster to to fight uh, the kezu is back from older monster hunters and it looks so disgusting so uh, veiny uh. yeah uh, the, the kezu is kind of like this little, like weird like pale Do we like, have to describe it monster that has like <laughs> a, has like no eye kezu in your pants or are you happy to see me <laughs> i want to hear about this breakdancing monkey that George oh likes. you should then yeah ah, go, the best go, one go, right go. so i I said this when we were playing. We played it earlier. I think we were playing it literally like an hour before the podcast. <laughs> uh, I've never liked a Monster Hunter monster. Like people are like, oh my god, I love this. I love uh, Pookie Pookie or whatever, whatever. And they go, oh Raffian, that's cool. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can appreciate their designs. I can, you know, I get, I get people. You know, people might like them. Uh, I like the Palicos and Palmutes, but they're just dogs and cats, so that doesn't really count. Um, and I was like, yeah, I just don't get why people. Get like like it so much, and then we run into this. What what's it called a fish, fish and we ran into it and like oh you know it's just a kind of monkey with wings you know it, it looks okay, and then it starts throwing fruit, and I was like that's kind of funky. I like that. That's different. That's cool. Like it poisons you, but not for its tail. I don't. I think it has a tail. Yeah, yeah it has it has a tail that it actually stands on. Like it's the, like the idle posture is like a pole. Tail, yeah, yeah. Its tail extends like a pole, and then yeah, it stands like that. And then the fruit it, it tosses out, those are the poisonous ones. That and that's just cool. Like that that's unique. That's you know, every other monster like yeah, yeah. claws and tails and stuff. This one's just weird. And then the further you get into the fight, the more like aggravated it gets. It just starts like it is just like tumbling around, but it looks like it's breakdancing. Because it's just like flipping around on its legs and you're just looking at you like go monkey go like that's so cool um and it was just one of those moments where you see like you see beyond the veil i don't, I don't want to pretend like i've had like some seeing eye experience suddenly i get monster hunter or something but like i was just looking at it, i was like well, they do put so much effort into these monsters um 
and I'd really love to see this one in HD. Like I've never, I've never thought that before of any other monster, but this one is just like, it's just such a vibe. I loved him. Yeah, the, there's a, a specific like attack sequence that the Bishatin has later on. But it'll does like it'll do like uh, it'll jump from place to place as it flips around, and then like the last jump, it it lands on its head. It does like a, like a breakdance pose, <laughs> and it as its last jump on it's like it's like doing a head a headstand as well. I love it, it so much. It's a it's a very cool uh, animation wise, very cool fight, um, and obviously the the one that you really liked uh as well was the uh, the fight of the flagship monster uh, magda mallow it's like kind of like oh a, yeah like yeah a that was cool. electric thunder lion almost uh that that fight is really really crazy as well because it's one of the first like early fights that you do um as you're advancing low rank you're like hey there's like a magda mallow go take it out it's like uh all right. and then they even uh, say hey i, I know it's kind of a, a lot to ask for your hunter rank at the moment but uh can you please uh go uh check up on it like all right i guess and then you get to that fight and it's like spewing out like hellfire clouds that'll like uh it'll ignite on impact with the ground and whatnot and it's that's an insane fight it'll like explode around it it's very aggressive yeah and it's that, that's one of those key moments in the visually the stunning as well yeah you're just like whoa what yeah. is this yeah. and that, that's when you start to learn it's like oh i have to respect this monster's attacks because if you if you push if you push up too aggressively on it It'll just snap back at you, and I was just like, "Oh, um, this you're I'm dead now." <laughs> yeah, you're... oops. So, what weapons are you guys all using? Uh, I'm using hammer for this one. I used bow in uh, World and Iceborne, but the hammer in this one is so fun to control. One of its silk bind attacks that you use with a wire bug is you fling yourself up in the air and you spill, spin like a Beyblade all throughout yes. it. And it's like, oh, man, it feels great. So I, I've been rocking hammer. It's been a lot of fun for me. I've been pretty basic, and I've gone for switch axe. Um, before that, I was doing dual blades, and I was like, yeah, dual blades for life. I need the speed. But then like, as soon as you see the damage numbers on any other weapon, you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I won't use the dual blades. I'll probably go back to them, because I really like the... Um, it's mechanic. I don't know if it's called like Enrage or something like that. That's what I've like always mode. Yeah, yeah, that. And you just move so much faster with that. It just it's it's the only well, the insect glaive's pretty fast as well, but it's the one that like feels right for me as like a character action fan. But now I'm now I've ditched it. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe next week I'll be I'll be Gunlance. Yeah. But right for right now, like you're doing switch axe, you said? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more basic weapons than switch axe. I played like hundreds of hours of world longsword so if i ever do get into rise i'm like i'm committing to playing any other weapon not longsword. <laughs> yeah i hear longsword's pretty basic it's like the well it's one you stop it's it's, isn't it? it's a low well how do i word this it seems like it's it's got a high skill ceiling but it's also just pretty easy just to play pretty well without a lot of skill yeah, so. it's, it's one of the most popular weapons just by and large in the monster hunter community just sheer number wise like a lot of people stick with longsword because like uh, as you said high skill ceiling but it's very like it's pretty easy to use on a basic model. it's yeah, it's easy to be 80 percent effective on it where other weapons might have a more like gradual ramp in terms of like how good are you at the game versus how much damage you deal i did see that like when the when the second part of the demo came out and people were like and this is like meta you know super monster hunter like experts were like timing like the average clear rate for the different weapons if i remember right longsword did like lap the competition because apparently it just has really high potential damage output so it's got that going for it 
I remember right, Bo was last. Oh yeah, never touch Bo. James, the Bo Bo is more of a utility weapon. I feel in terms of like wearing out monsters, stamina, things like that. James never played it. For for Rise, did you do multiple weapons or just uh, or did you have like a main weapon as you were like going through the review for it? Um, I mostly focused on switch axe when I was going through the review, and then I went to uh, different weapon types. Uh, every time I play a, a new Monster Hunter, I try to go with a different uh, weapon for the main story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exception was uh, with Iceborne. I just stuck with uh, Great Sword because I was like, I need to finish the content as quickly as possible for the review. <laughs> Yeah, and Iceborne is one hell of a game, content-wise. Yeah, uh, for perspective, uh, for folks that have played Iceborne, I uh, hit MR100 before I wrote my review. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that's the the initial thoughts on Rise uh, for, obviously, me and George. James, that was a fantastic review, up both written and... Video wise, it's I, I can't wait to go back and play more. It's, we have a YouTube channel. It's RPG Site Net. You should visit and give James's review a watch. It's a good. Yeah. It's a very good review as well. He got a new mic just for it. Well, obviously he's gonna <laughs> has more bigger plans for 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 this. I mean, mic. I'm using the new mic right now. Yep. So <laughs> sounds great. So with that, I think that covers everything in terms of been playing. And we'll probably obviously talk about Monster Hunter over the next couple of weeks as you guys work through it. I want to hear anecdotes about your guys' hunts together. We do also have a, uh, a Discord channel where we do have a, a Discord server where we do have a Monster Hunter channel. So go ahead and join that. You can hit that link at the top of the RPG site net homepage if you want to play Monster Hunter with other like-minded people. And with that said and squared away, let's move on to news. Is that where we're at? News. Let's do it. All right. So not a lot of big heavy hitters, but a lot of interesting little things. Um, This one is actually ties into another feature that Adam actually, well, I I had a lot of contributors. Adam contributed and then Josh followed up with uh, a new take on it. I am talking about the reports that the PlayStation 3 PlayStation P and PlayStation Vita network stores will be taken offline this summer. This was originally reported on The Gamer. PlayStation uh, P? The Gamer? PlayStation P? <laughs> Portable. Yeah, PlayStation P is kind of funny. Uh, so, the, the according to this report from The Gamer, the PSP and PS3 stores will be closed on July 2nd. And a Vita store will be closed on August 27th. Of course, the reason why this is kind of shocking is that there are a lot of games that are only available on those stores that you cannot get or even play on PlayStation 4 or 5. So when we saw this news, we basically, for our own sake, I mean, I'm speaking collectively here, like what games are we interested in that we want to make sure we have access to before if this comes to pass and it ends up being true? I think at this point, it's pretty clear it's going to happen for one main thing. Uh, So even though the old PlayStation web store, like, was supposed to, like, been taken down months ago, it's been accessible if you use this specific link. So you could still, like, buy, like, PS3 and PSP and Vita and PlayStation 1 games on the web store. Well, yesterday or the day before, one of those two days, 
if you try and go to any of those links to the old web store that worked before, they no longer work. So there's some more smoke. So, so is the only way to access those stores like through those consoles then? Yes. And for means? the PS3, that is an exercise in... Oh, I know. Yeah, the PS3 the web... Uh, the PlayStation <laughs> Portable's web store is actually... Well, not web store. Its actual store has been down for like years at this point. You uh, can still like use the download list, but you had to buy PSP games on either the PlayStation 3 or PlayStation Vita stores. Yeah, this is so, go for it. Go ahead. Uh, no, you I, first. I, I was just gonna say that yeah, once once I heard about this, like I immediately went to go download all the Osiris Wrath and Drakengard three uh once for starters. And you know, it's I navigated through the PS3 store uh just recently. Uh it is so horrendous these days. It takes a long time to boot up and get navigating or like the, the interfaces you know, remember, like it's now in line with how it is on PS4, uh, and like, but the the performance of it on PS3 is so laggy and unresponsive. Um, the the only upside of it is like, hey, you can use PayPal now. Like on the old PS Store design, you couldn't use PayPal. You can only have to do the crashes. The crashes. Yeah, the crashes. Yeah. And the, uh, the the interesting thing is, you can still access the the old PS3 Store through certain. Uh, like downloadable content, like hot links on um, it games, like for Osiris Wrath, there's this downloadable content like uh, like option on the main menu, and when you click that, it'll actually all boot up like the old PS3 store, not the not the not the launch date PS3, but the more modernized one. So I was able to get that content and like see that UI like one more time. So I was like, oh, interesting. But the but the quirk with it is you can't use PayPal; you have to only use PSN cards or credit card to pay for the content so that that was a weird thing but for the dragon guard one uh you had to you can still do that old ps store but it wouldn't accept my credit card that that point so i had to go buy it on the more the the modern the one that they have now so it's all so, over the place um and uh as uh, brian was t- talking about earlier the, the adam was the one who initiated the the idea of like hey we should let people know, like what are like the like the exclusives are on these storefronts as like a one like one last chance, like you know, buy them, purchase them legally instead of like resorting to piracy. But obviously, this is going to open the door to piracy as now, like it's justified, uh, right? As yeah, you might not have a choice, yeah, literally. Yeah. yeah. So I think not. Not, not to get, get, sorry. Uh, this is just going to be an impassioned rant for a second, but yeah, go for it. Uh, it's such a to see. So I'm so annoyed by it that I, li- I literally can't start off well. But I, not to be hyperbolic, I think it's like disgusting. I think it is so crap, Sony. I think the way the way that they constantly do these things, where they're just so they're anti-consumer in a lot of ways. Like it's they were doing so well for the PS4. They had this like this amazing underdog story from the PS3 and like, yeah, let's get back on top. And the PS4, it's like, okay, yeah, they're doing pretty well. Like, but they suck with backwards compatibility and they suck with legacy stuff. Like they'll sell it back to you, but you won't be able to download it otherwise. And then with the PS5 coming out, they're just like, you know what? You ever want to play that Ratchet and Clank game again? Go buy a really expensive disc. Otherwise you're screwed. You want to play Infamous again? Good luck. Like all these games, I I think maybe I'm, I'm a little bit sulky about it because I got rid of my, 
PS3 collection a long time ago. Um, and now I'm like, oh my god, what have I done? Yeah, the, so the only way you can access these games is like whatever the PlayStation Now library has. I don't know if you can have, even access the PlayStation Now, like play the PlayStation Now games on PS5. I'm not sure about that. You can on PS4, but you know, PlayStation you can, Now yeah. is lacking in a lot of ways. Library, it's shit. <laughs> it's like, stream uh, only, and yeah. you guys know my internet can't handle that. Yeah, but exactly. I, I can't use it. And and they're also like when you're streaming, sometimes there'll be like a stream queue, like, hey, there's too many people, like. The, like accessing this thing right now on PlayStation Now, so you're like added to this virtual queue, and then Ugh. when it's your turn, you're you're, you're good to go. Um, yeah, it's it's not great what their options are. Um, we do have a you know an article on the site now that like catalogs you know RPGs that are both you know available on PlayStation Three, PlayStation Portable, PlayStation Vita, you know as a last chance to get like buy them uh, legally, and then. You know, uh, after after Adam did like the a lot of like the base work on on the English front, like me and Kite and Adam, like you know, added to it as well. Uh, we like in comparison to the like the English language stores on both the U.S. and Europe, like the Japanese PSN is like a real real gold mine of a lot of obscure RPGs that are still there. Uh, so like it took it took a bit to get the you know to catalog them all, but we have like a, a good bulk of it now on the site. Unfortunately, as James mentioned earlier, we used to have hot link URLs that linked them to them directly, uh, just to easily to purchase. But now people have to go on the native storefronts on PS3, like Japanese stores on Japanese accounts and whatnot. And now I was wondering about that because, like, you had for some of these Japanese games, like you had links directly to them. Like, if you want to get this in your library, go here. And now you like you can't easily like. There's more steps involved. Yeah, now you have to like if you can if you don't have a Japanese keyboard or or, or access to that, you have to like I imagine have to like copy and paste things from the article into like the search bar on the PlayStation Store, or I guess I don't exactly know. No, it's worse than that. I mean, you have to go on a PS3 or a Vita, and for some like PSP games, for example, you have to go on a PS3 and use the search through the PS3's store. In order to get a PSP game, because there is no way to do it through the web store anymore. You have to do it through a PS3 or a Vita. And some Vita games, well, some PSP games aren't supported on Vita officially. So you have to uh but, have uh, to go that route. Is there a way for like since the PS3 has an internet browser, like wouldn't you be able to like go to our article on the P- through the PS3 browser and then copy and paste it? I don't know that- if that works that way. And first I, I, off, I don't even know if if RPG site would even load on the PS3 browser. That's that old. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, how did have you found a way, Adam, to get around this now? Okay, so I this is something I've kind of been like worried about. Worried is maybe a strong word, but for a while, like it was inevitable that this, like I think the store was going to shut down, and it was kind of going to depend on what Sony was going to do about it or whatever. Right. But um. So I've always kind of known I was going to probably have to go through the store and buy a bunch of stuff that I want to be able to play at some point in the future. Cause it's a lot easier to, you know, buy a $7 digital game on PS3 than like to uh, buy a disc. I know you can always pirate it, but like, if you want like a legit copy, like put, you put the effort in to buy it, that it was there, but unfortunately never was brought forward to PS4 or now PS5. But like, so I went through the store once this report came out and I was adding a bunch of Japanese games I wanted to play. And so like, for example, one of the, some of the games that I wanted to buy, cause I haven't played them yet and I want to someday 
are Shin Megami Tensei 1 and 2. They have PS PlayStation 1 versions ports on PlayStation 3. They were never localized. So the thing is, is when you're going to the Japanese store, you have to have a Japanese account, first of all, which does take some time to set up. Uh, I, I don't know any Japanese at all. I know like yes and no, and that's about it. Um, so I, I go to our article, look up Shin Megami Tensei, and like, okay, here's how you write it in kanji. But the problem is, is you can't on the PS3 write in kanji. You have to write it in hiragana, and then it sort of like populates in kanji. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. it gives you the drop downs, and like I don't know how to write Shin Megami Tensei in hiragana. Hiragana. <laughs> so I had to like Google like Shin Megami Tensei in hiragana, and like find some like wiki questions page. Like how do you type this in hiragana? I don't know. And like here you go. <laughs> um, and so like, and I don't know what the characters are. Like okay, so that character, and I'll let me look for it. Oh, there it is. Click it. And so I did that for some games. Like, imagine like a monkey like trying to write, navigate a language she doesn't understand. <laughs> um, and then also, there's sometimes I just like literally went to like the search bar and like, all right, search. Like, oh, I I, I see PS One. That's in English letters. I can write. I can read that. And I just click that. Like, okay, here are all the PS One games. There's literally like like 500 of them or something like that. Like, let me just scroll down Jesus. and just see the icons and see which ones I want to get. And I, I ended up uh, spending like two hundred dollars or something like that on just digital games, but I it's a process. If especially if you don't know Japanese like me, um, so it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's just, I will say that we're to start with this. We're to start with this. My feelings exactly. First off, <laughs> if this is the end of the storefront. Where the fuck is Sony? And they should confirm this. It seems mm. likely that this is the end. And if that's the case, and they're just saying nothing, as they're calling access to the easy way for people to buy these old games for their platforms, and they're just continuing to along like on the shutdown without letting people know what the See, fuck. I think, I think Nintendo had a... So it's. I think it's also unfortunate that Nintendo, like the virtual console, doesn't work on Switch. I would love for it to work on Switch, but it just did. Yeah, Nintendo has done this as well. Like, yeah, but the thing with Nintendo is they they gave like, yeah, like a years of notice. Like, all right, we are going to be shutting down virtual console. I forget exactly the timing, but it was like within and, a year you can no longer add money, and then like within half a year after that you can no longer make downloads, and so like. They still well, shut no, it, it was down. like you can no longer make purchases. You can still technically download. Oh right. So you, yeah. you, they they stopped adding. You couldn't add money first. So you had to like you were stuck with the money you had in your account, and then later, like you had to spend it before a certain date, and then it was shut down. But um, like at least they gave plenty of like a head time to be like, all right, make sure you add money, you know, within the next several months, and then after that, you still have several more months to make purchases. And like Sony has said nothing. So it's Why like, are they I, I keep thinking I keep thinking back to that infamous Jim Bryan quote of who wants to play these old games. And I know it's one person in Sony hierarchy, and that was years ago, but the fact that all the other major like Sony like executives that were there, like Sean Layden, have left. The fact that he's the one that's left over, that he's the top honcho there, and that there's been nothing to say that. Well, nothing to show that what he said back then isn't what is, if not policy, is what's internally happening inside Sony. 
it's like PlayStation next to Nintendo is is the one platform holder that has the largest legacy. Mm-hmm. And it is disgusting that they don't respect it as much as they should. Nintendo yep. still doesn't respect their legacy as much as they should, I'd say, but it's like and I keep it's, saying you know, this. You know you've done a bad job when you can bring up Nintendo and be like, at least Nintendo did this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, let me put it this way. I keep saying this. I keep coming back to this. If so, if I didn't need to have a PlayStation 5, I would not want to give Sony money for it. If there wasn't exclusives, if there weren't games that I know that I'm going to have to play on PlayStation 5, and this isn't even just like I want to play, but I mean for my job here, for like covering games. If there weren't going to be PS5 games that I knew that I'd need to cover or want to cover, stuff like that, I don't think I would have bought a PlayStation 5. Because I, I'm looking at what Sony well, no, looking at what Sony's doing and, and then I look at what Microsoft is doing with the, with regards to their legacy. Microsoft, yeah, they shut down the original like OG Xbox uh, live, but the 360 Xbox Live is still um is still around. It's all part of the same network. You can buy original Xbox games digitally. You can buy 360 games digitally. They patched in backwards compatibility for the Xbox One. I don't think my, um, sorry to interrupt, but I don't think my brother has bought an Xbox series yet, but I know he recently got uh, Knights of the Old Republic on original Xbox, and he's playing that on an Xbox One. Like, yeah, it's cool that you can do that. (laughs) It's like, if I were to respect any of the platform holders, if I were to like expect any of the platform holders to actually respect my purchases going forward, it would be Microsoft mm-hmm. because they're the only ones that are showing that they are willing, that they are committed to keeping your library going forward. It's like smart delivery as well. Like that Avengers. Show yeah. It's a shit show on PlayStation and Xbox. It's like, on PlayStation. It's like, yeah, PlayStation 4 is playable now, but is it going to be playable on PlayStation 6? Should I buy any digital... Should I buy any PlayStation games now expecting to be able to play them on my console in, like, another 10 years from now? I I, I don't think so. It's just... As well, like, the reason why it hits me hard is that my PS3 is, is a slim one, but it doesn't work very well. And, like, now in my head I'm thinking, okay, like, am I gonna have to buy a new PS3 and all of the games I want in case I ever want to play them again, like, am I going to have to start, one thing like, I One surgery? thing I'll say is, thank God that PS3 emulation is getting to the point where it's actually usable. Like, I, you can play a lot of these PlayStation 3 exclusives, and, like, every day they get better. Like, just the other day, I was playing Motorstorm Pacific Rift in 4K60. Like, it's... It, it, this is why oh, preservation means, is so yeah. important. This is why emulation is so important. But the fact of the matter is, is that these fans shouldn't be the ones that are tasked with preserving these games. If you're a platform holder, you should at least be doing the bare minimum to make sure that people can have access to their games going forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the way I think of it is I think of like specific examples. Like for instance, tying it back to the future that Adam, Josh, and Kite, and so many other people contributed to. Well, we the way that we set that up was it was trying to be like games that you cannot find anywhere else. So if it has like a Steam port or a remaster, it still sucks that you have to be like, oh, you already paid money for this, uh, or or you you um 
not paid money for it. Like you, you have to like you, this one's no longer on the table. Like one of the one of the examples on there is Persona Four. So obviously Persona Four Golden is now on Steam, but like I feel like that you shouldn't just say like oh well now Persona Four digital on on PlayStation Networks on the on that store it's coming down is no longer like you have to have the new version. Like to me that's just there's something about that where it's just like I I think those both those games should exist so that you can compare so that you can like see the progression so that it's just like almost a part of history as hokey as that sounds where you have like these two different versions of a, of the same project of the same product but now it's just kind of like oh persona 4 the original oh. version it has a different opening and a different cadence and it plays a little bit different and different english voice actors uh you can only and play here's that a, the disc. Yeah. Like, and here's a good it. example here's a good example so i've been playing through the final fantasy series this year um I came to the conclusion that I think the best version of the original Final Fantasy one to play is Final Fantasy Origins. You could buy it on the PlayStation's web store for PS3. You can't do that anymore. And once the mm-hmm. PS3 store goes bye-bye for good, you're going to have to get a disc in order or to play it. it. Or pirate the, it. The, 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 okay, I, I, guess, I guess I'll have to apologize to the entire world because this is because last weekend was before all this news came out, Last weekend was the the point where it's like, you know what? I want to go revisit my PlayStation TV. Got that all set up, uh, updated and everything. Uh, and then I guess, you know, once uh, once Sony realized, oh, someone's downloading uh, Muramasa Rebirth <laughs> DLC. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, we got to shut it down. What are we doing? I mean, I to take it. Brian's example, only to even to step back a little bit, there are so many games that you can buy and play on a PS3 that are not available anywhere else, even like in a new form, yeah. like even like classics like Chrono Cross or Vagrant Story. Those never got ported. They never got remastered. Um, obviously, you can pirate them like that's, you know, that's what people will have to do. But like if you wanted to like, hey, let's buy these games from Square Enix, from Sony and play them on a machine where they play fine, you can do that. <laughs> um, and it's like they were there. They're classics. But now they're not going to be if the shutdown goes through, your only options are to find a disc or pirate it. And it's just like that shouldn't be the case. And that, um, that also brings into like a question, like, will you, will you even be able to like get updates for these games if you get them on disc, like moving forward as well? Like if you like, yeah, it's DLC oh yeah, if you insert them, it's like, are will there be a server that still have these uh, these updates that you can like at least download? If not, then, you know, for, for some for some instances, like, for example, like. Most recently, Balan Wonderworld had this uh, whole thing with the final boss fight, where if you were uh, playing that game without the day one update, that is absolutely seizure-inducing because of the way that like effects go on in that final boss fight of Balan Wonderworld. Now, like imagine if you could if you play that game and you weren't able to get that day one update, you're literally playing at mm-hmm. that game that could like give you a severe be dangerous. Battle. Yeah, yeah, it's d- dangerous, you know. Now, now, for some of these, I'm not saying that like some of these like releases on PS3 have that things uh, have that same thing without the day one like uh, an update. But imagine a world where you could you if you wanted to play Ballad Wonder World, but you can no longer get that <laughs> update that would like you know save your life. What happens? You know that's crazy. Sorry, I'll just, it's out of context. Imagine a world where you want to play Balan Wonderworld. Yeah, I lost that. Too. It wasn't the rest of it. I'm tripping over that. Uh, I, I think we found the uh, title for the post. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just it's just very crazy to think about. Like this is the digital future. Now, 
it's well like, you i don't want to get like philosophical but it's it almost seems like you could have a conversation about like this is kind of how we treat games media it's like disposable like if it's if yeah. it's if you haven't played it within five years you've missed it you've missed your chance which obviously is not the case but some people seem to like maybe they don't internalize it but they end up uh, uh you know operating that way that. without realizing yeah. it and i know i sometimes do that where it's like uh do i play this new game that comes out or do i, do I play this one game that i was interested in like for instance jedi, jedi fallen order like i haven't played it yet my time my window hasn't expired that game is not that old it's two years old what but it's just like there's this mindset thing where it's just like when you take the older when you when you don't respect the legacy like that all of a sudden you're you're kind of pushing it in that direction where it's just like games are you it's the zeitgeist or bust you're there at launch or the year or the year after or, or you missed your chance which you might think that's ludicrous it is ludicrous that's why we should keep these old games around mm-hmm. yeah to indulge a little bit into the uh like niche rpg side of things here it is it was cool it was it sucks that that's past tense now or will be um it was cool just how what kind of things you could find on like psn like i didn't realize until i was starting to go through this like i can get the PCE engine version of East 4, the Dawn of East. Like, I didn't, I don't have a Turbo Graphics or a PCE, right? Um, and like, that's a game I've always been interested in. It's a classic old Japanese only game. But if you have a PS3, and a lot of people have PS3s, you can buy that and play it. Like, you don't need a Japanese PlayStation uh, engine console or the disc. You can just buy it and play it. And it sucks that that's sort of, you won't be able to do that for much longer. It sounds like you know. So yeah, even even did. stuff like to go stupid basic. We I won't hop on this forever, but like there are there are PlayStation exclusives that are PSN story exclusive as well. Like Fat Princess. I know that's a sort Tokyo of a Jungle. Love that Tokyo Jungle. Uh, infamous First Blood. Ratchet and Clank Quest for Booty. Like these are all games. Like, Actually, Quest for Booty did get a uh, disc release. Oh, in Europe. Europe. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I have that somewhere, but like just in general like that's not that's not available for everyone um and personally i'm a massive sony fanboy I'll, I'll admit that i've always been able to admit that but like i grew up with these games the ps3 is my sort of nostalgia and like to potentially see a world where i can't play pain which isn't a good game but like means a lot to me you know that, that sucks it, it, like it, it hurts genuinely. that's actually a good point just speaking generally we live in an age now where smaller budget games and used some double a games some remasters even, they just get digital releases. That's the world we live in. So if we're having the same conversation 15 years ago, 15 years from now, we won't even be able to say pirate it or get the disc. That second part will no longer be valid. Like that's yeah. just bad. There are a few games on there that never did get discs. As, like uh, There's not a lot of them. Legacy Sista um, um, is one. Battle Princess um, Arcadia's. I just have the list up right now. Or me. Yeah. Nobby yeah. uh, Boy. Brandish. The Dark Revenant. Mm-hmm. You can't get that. You have to get that digitally if you want to play it in English. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's good it's game. Just of, it's just one of those <laughs> things. Like I, I guess, like to, to tie a bow on this whole conversation that you know we really harp on. Like I just think that Sony has an, like an obligation to just keep these storefronts going like in perpetuity for as much as like you know that word is right now. Like ideally forever, you know, because there's just it, like I imagine like when they what what kind of like how does like how does this damage like partner relations as well for like some people for some companies like obviously they're not like buying things off there right now but just like 
moving forward, like there, like some of these companies, like, hey, this is the only release of this game. This is the only way you can play it right now. We haven't we released it. Like, just how much like that damages partner relations in general with the, internally with Sony as well. It's just it's so weird to like just finally see these words like come up. Like, the, here's the day. Here's here's reckoning day. Here's the apocalypse for these stores. Like now, it's finally mm. come to pass. It's just like you don't want to see it. It's, it hurts to see. It feels like there's so many games that are now at the other side that have been digital only in that era of PS3, PSP, and PS Vita. That like just Sony just feel it just feels like Sony should have a moral obligation to keep these stores running in perpetuity because so many mm-hmm. of these releases, just RPGs alone, but obviously we only covered one genre for every genre of game. Yeah, you know, ah, oh, it's, it's such a downer, it but it's just like it's. It's important. You you understand why it why it makes sense in the in the in the context of a capitalist society. You understand that, but mm-hmm. in terms of like preservation, this is such a huge blow. Yeah, I'm glad we're also in passion though. Like obviously, it's gonna be like whatever piece of news is next. Like and this game got released, it like uh, whatever. <laughs> like I'm glad that we're having the conversation of like that it it sucks and that we can recognize it sucks. Like you know. That that's nice at least because if I talk to most people, they're like, "Okay, cool." Like, you know, you play new games now. Anyway, it's it's not about that. It's about like wanting to play older games and that chance like being taken away. Hey, but but look look to, to all the people out there. It's like whatever. Look, I last weekend before any of this news hit, I just wanted to play replay Muramasa Rebirth, and then it, it, just to think, in a few months, I will no longer have that option if I get that like feeling again and it's like oh i just want to go replay this game it's like oh it's no longer here it's like what the fuck yeah you know? and yep. like not and not only that but like when you were so you were playing where monster rebirth you were streaming it in our discord channel i was watching i was kind of commenting about how i had played it on vita i i had played not the rebirth or, or i don't remember but basically i was comparing my experience with his and what i remembered from the game and what i didn't you had the new dlc that i never played and we had a conversation about it and it's just like you're not just losing those games you're losing like all these experience tethered to them or you have a new player playing alongside someone who played it years ago but has a foggy memory or someone revisiting a game they're nostalgic for and they want to you know they just have the opportunity to play it again like those are the other things you're losing tangentially yeah so. it's so yeah i guess this is it like sucks. a big heads up it's a big heads up like you know it, it, whenever sony decides to report on this if like if if this report is true which is looking likely that it's true like you know just get a here's a heads up like every ps3 psp ps vita game like that you want you wanted to get like this is the time you know before you regret it forever these games are lost in the void because on the on a whim sony just wanted it to just let go i just yeah i guess i guess the best thing we can hope for is that we end up looking like clowns and sony says that's not happening but like i guess <laughs> yeah we will we will take that on the chin that <laughs> ends up being how this turns out uh, we, we would gladly we will we, we want to be wrong that this is this report is false we want to be wrong but mm. if it's yeah. true and it's likely to be true yeah. go 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 yeah. get them so yep so stated plainly we have a feature up on the site i believe it is the top banner like if you go to our homepage, it's the biggest icon it's a list of all the rpgs and rpg like games on the that service that you should get now if you're interested while you have the chance so uh moving on this isn't quite like the whiplash <laughs> that I thought it would be because here's another thing that's a bit more it's a, it's not quite nearly as uh far reaching but we finally we talked about this game on previous podcasts but the long in development/speculated/rumored 
Final Fantasy XI mobile port slash remake, which is Square Enix's partnership with Nexon, has been officially canned. So I remember talking about this game, saying like, hey, if this happens and ends up looking pretty good, I could see myself using this as my gateway to Final Fantasy XI. No longer the case. So obviously Final Fantasy XI is still available on PC in its original form. Its console ports have shut down several years ago. Uh, but the mobile port's no longer happening. It's still getting expansions on PC as well. It's still getting supported. It's still it's still mm-hmm. up. So, I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't have like the highest hopes for this project because Nexon was helming it, and Nexon is very, very infamous in the mobile gacha RPG space. Of like, they kind of just they the, the way they their monetization structure and philosophy uh, doesn't it doesn't resonate well with uh, players of those spaces. They they're very keen on squeezing their player base dry and the, the way they structure against like hey it's pay to win um it's it, it, nexon is just and then the nexon is also good about this like having a game up for several months and then just shutting it down if it doesn't like make them money essentially so you know some, I, people, some not... people might make a similar argument where it's just like why play this if you can play 14 but like people should have the option to compare them like and yeah, you might you might end up thinking like, okay, eleven is dated and fourteen is better in every way. Like that might be your opinion. I don't know if that's true. Um, but just to, just to, you can't just take like some majority opinion and say, oh, all right, so this game is no longer worth it. But luckily, obviously, Square Enix has kept that Final Fantasy Eleven on board, and they seem to be supporting it really well. So, luckily, there's not a ton of parallels that you can draw between this conversation and the last one. But I was interested in this mobile port, uh, kind of like a, as a kind of as like a Morbid's not the right word, but kind of like as an odd curiosity, like that's that's interesting. Uh, re- refashioning the game in this in this style, like I kind of see how I want to see how that turns out. Turns out it doesn't happen, so I I'm bummed. Yeah, downer episode today, guys. <laughs> All right, hey, uh, let's run. How about this <laughs> saga? Right. Saga Frontier remastered. So obviously this was announced. Oh, I don't remember the announcement date. Adam, chime in if you want. Uh, but we got a bunch Last of new November. details from it. Yeah, so uh, we already knew that they were adding the Fuse storyline, that they were kind of touching up some of the storylines of the different other characters that had gaps or incomplete development when it had to be originally released. Uh, So we already knew some of the general details, but Square Enix has now shared a bunch of new screenshots, a new information. Uh, Adam, I guess I don't know specifically like what here is the highlight that I should call out. Well, so... So Saga Frontier is a PlayStation 1 RPG. And okay, kind of, I've, yeah, I have not no, played it. it. But um, as I understand it, it's, it was unfinished in places. So they are remastering it, which that alone isn't maybe too much of a surprise after they re-released Romancing Saga 2 and 3. So this would be the next game. But they're also taking this opportunity to add new content, to finish what was sort of gaps before, and also add several quality of life features. Um, so first of all, there's a new game plus mode. So like a couple of other Saga games, this game has eight different protagonists. And while you pick one to go through their storyline, as I understand it, you can recruit some of the others into your team. Yes. And so the new game plus option is kind of nice for people who want to play not just one storyline, but multiple storylines. So let's just say you pick a character First time through, you go through the storyline, you like it, and now you want to pick a different character. Um, the characters that you had before, they'll already be like powered up, so you can kind of replay it. 
the, more yeah, quickly. The, so the that's a nice the, option. Yeah, the thing about this too is like it's encouraged, especially with the new content saga frontier remaster, because Fuse's storyline in particular yes. like is incorporates events from like every other scenario. So if you want to complete Fuse's storyline, you have to go complete everyone else's to get his full storyline. Yep. It, it seems like it seems like there are the seven storylines, and then there's Fuses, which is the new one. And it seems like there's like a flag where if you've completed, let's just say, Acellus's story, and then you play Fuse's story, the Acellus component of it is like different or added. It's, it's not clear yet because it's that's new, but his storyline seems to be sort of a kind of a combination mixture of the other one. So it sort of makes sense to do his last. So in terms of content, that's what uh, his new or that's what the new remaster offers. Um, but there's also things like there's now uh, a turbo mode in battle, uh, two times and three times turbo mode. Always, always do it. Sorry? Always appreciate it. We oh, both yeah. said always good. Like that's, that's yep. never a good <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> um, There's other things like these maps have like, I think they're pre-rendered backgrounds. And, you know, sometimes you have pre-rendered backgrounds. Maybe it's um, not obvious where you need to go so there's a new option where it shows like here are the arrows pointing at that where the scene transitions are and it's like a small thing but you can do that one actually big addition that they made to this game and again i haven't played it but i know what this means having played other saga games is that you can escape from battle in some saga games you can't when you get to a battle you have to fight it but also that means uh when you escape from battle the battle rank will not go up and that is pretty big for saga games because yeah, if you, if you, play, games, you understand. Yeah, it basically in most saga games, maybe all of them, uh, as you do battles, there's like a counter that kind of uh, determines like as you do more battles, the overall difficulty for encounters rises. So yep. the, the in romancing saga three, if you run away from battles, your battle counter still goes up, and this is really exaggerated, but like if you were to run away from like 200 battles or something like that, then you start running into enemies that you are way tougher than they should be because it, the game is assuming, oh, you fought 200 battles, you should be good by now, but you uh... ran away. So um, you, 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 if you are like extreme about it, I guess you can sort of handicap yourself. But it, honestly, I think the game does a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, you can run away from battle now. You couldn't do that before. It kind of sounds weird in a vacuum, but that's a big addition. Yes, that's very big. One of the easiest modern comparisons that you that you probably point to Adam also is the Last Remnant, where like yeah, yeah, the, the, if you grinded the Last Remnant, you're screwing yourself over later in the game because fights will be so tough that it's going to be specifically so if you grind against weak enemies yeah. because you're like, oh, you've. You've had all these opportunities to gain new skills, but you haven't really gained many because you're grinding against like little bugs. Like so, you so we'll throw these really tough enemies at you. Yep. So was that purposeful? Uh, say that again, George. Was that like a purposeful choice? Like, haha, you you grinded, or was it like an accidental? Like, I, I think it's more of a it's more of a you design see figure. you see sort of this sort of design in a few games, also also like often in Western games, and you can go into like a. A tangent about like how there's some saga inspiration from that about how they don't want to have like fixed like you're in this region of the world everything is this strong it's more of a sliding scale and you see like sometimes bethesda does that in like their online games with like uh, what do they call that that's on the tip of my tongue but well, maybe a better, maybe a better example is um just final fantasy 8 like if you play final fantasy 8 and level up normally but like you're you're drawing and you're junctioning like you just aren't engaging with that system. It's going to become harder and harder 
to like fight enemies in that game, which is why I think some people when they play Final Fantasy VIII for the first time kind of struggle with it because they don't really understand junctioning and that's key, but the game sort of assumes that you do. But on the flip side, Final Fantasy VIII, if you do understand how that system leveling works, you can totally break it um, by basically can, junctioning can, and not leveling. But yeah, it's can, a similar a similar broad concept of like the world is like, is is ta- is tr- tracking along with you in terms of the, the the strength of enemies as you fight through it. Yeah, Final Fantasy is like even uh, even also like one of the weird ones where if you like understand junctioning, you can beat the entire game without leveling it up once. Yep, <laughs> level seven. Hell yeah! The idea that I was thinking of, just so I don't sound like an idiot, was one Tamriel <laughs> where Elder Scrolls Online implemented like a wide scale level scaling thing, where basically the the goal is to always keep enemies like as you know on par with the player so you never just have trash that you're just mowing through and some people like that and some people absolutely abhor it and when i've played last remnant and saga scarlet grace it's i'm not going to say they're similar but you can kind of feel like the, the inspiration behind the design is similar in terms of trying to always keep the the player on a on a smooth like difficulty curve Uh, some other additions to this remaster are just kind of fun ones. Like there's a library mode where you can look at art and listen to music from the game, which, you know, the art from Tomomi is really great. Music from Kenji Ito is really great. So you can do that. There's also uh, a uh, a scenario chart, which Saga games oftentimes, again, I haven't played this one, but uh, they leave it up to the player oftentimes to kind of figure out what to do next or what's going on. They're not like completely... They'll give you, like, you need to find this, but they don't necessarily, like, point you and guide you. Like, you need to go exactly to this person here. Um, so sometimes it maybe felt a little aimless if you didn't know exactly what you needed to do. And now they're adding a scenario chart, which at least something you can, like, pull up in the menu and, like, what, what, was, I, what was I supposed to be doing right now sort of thing. So that's nice. And this game comes out next month in only a couple of weeks, honestly, because we're pretty much at the end of March, so not too long away. April 15. So like three weeks. Yeah. So a few other smaller news bits from the week. This one's kind of an interesting thing we can talk about. Uh, The official Tales of YouTube channel for the series like Tales of Symphonia, Tales of Vesperia, all those. Throughout this year since December, which marked the 25th anniversary of Tales of Fantasia, They've been doing like a bunch of anniversary type celebrations in terms of uh, art and music and characters. And what they did last week was they went through basically the whole sales history, ranked it globally, and then even showed the breakdown by region. So this is always just kind of interesting if you're a numbers nerd, if you have like a favorite entry and you want to see how well it ranked. So we uh, copied the list, uh, a Japanese publication called Games Talk kind of collated all the information provided in the video, which we also linked in our post about it. The best-selling Tales of game is Tales of Symphonia, which maybe isn't a surprise, but largely carried from its popularity in North America. Tales of Vesperia falls in second. And in third place is Tales of Destiny, largely carried by its popularity in Japan. And then obviously we've got more of the breakdowns. You can see what filtered out the top 10 of each list. So I don't know. Just do we have any comments about any like surprises here? Or does it kind of fall into what we expected? George, you're killing the Tales of series. Europe, 
uh, the best-selling Tales game in Europe is Tales of Asteria. What the fuck, George? <laughs> is, that, is, is that the best one or the worst one? It's so bad. In my Tales- opinion, it's the worst one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Some Tales- people have soft spots for it, but it's I don't like it. <laughs> so I kind of cheekily though? called this out on our social page, but not because like I have like this you know, curling rage into stereo, but just because it's an unexpected result and it was so close, it beat Tales of Symphonia by a thousand units. Um, and I actually kind of asked, like, well, inadvertently asked, like, why did this one end up overperforming in Europe? But it was the first that had a native PC port. Obviously, other games came to PC later. And then apparently, I can't substantiate this, but I saw some murmurs saying that it had much better support for um, European languages. Uh, tech support so like and then they just marketed it better in general so it's like all right with all those things considered it's maybe not a surprise that Zestiria took the top slot in Europe but I will say just on the game itself um, when I was originally playing that it tells its story so poorly that I almost felt dumber like can I not follow a narrative anymore does my brain just not work because it feels you remember all like... those encounters with Zavid and it's like why are they fighting <laughs> what are they doing um, why are we going it, here almost, this might seem like a weird comparison but in hindsight it kind of reminds me of Final Fantasy 15 in a way where it's like they had these ideas they maybe had a framework in place they had like a through line imagined at some point but then like when it came to put pen to paper put you know graphics and models to engine or whatever you want to call it they just like could only do so much so there's gaps the order is weird some of it's like reconfigured in a way that no longer is very clear and it's interesting because this game is tied to they're not directly related but they are well maybe they are kind of directly related but berseria is yeah, like a hundreds of years prequel mm-hmm. if i remember right mm-hmm. and it almost kind of that game in general on its own is much better told and it's much more clear and a better game i think but then it always kind of like retroactively makes hysteria better because it kind of gives you like oh some of these things that were just kind of like nebulous and vague and weird in hysteria now we've kind of given some context to through bizaria so it kind of like props up its it's like okay hysteria. to put it in perspective uh tales of hysteria the game itself is like so bad that it's largely considered that the Tales of Hysteria, the anime adaptation, is vastly better than it. Uh, it's also, table. It also seems to be the last thing that Baba worked on <laughs> before he kind of disappeared. Yeah, Hideo Baba. Yeah. It's uh, it's not, okay, like not to point just the fingers at Europe. Like it, the Tales of Hysteria made this third on uh, North America and it sold 600,000 units in North America. So it's still, it's still ranked well in North America. So we're still fucking up too, to be honest. But, it is so, interesting uh, though that um, North or sorry, the Japanese Asia ranking has Destiny, Destiny Two, um, and Eternia. And hell then, like, yeah, none dude. of those, none of those show up on uh, on the North America Japanese. And then uh, North America also has the um, the sequel to Symphonia, which I also don't think is very good. Knights of Ratatosk or Dawn of the New World, depending on your language. And it's kind of like, gee, I think it just kind of. Presumably, ride rode the coattails of just, the much better regarded yeah, Symphonia. Ja, I, I guess Japanese, the Japan job just has way better taste and tales of just than any other region. That's what I got from the list. I find I'm glad I looked at the list and I found it. I found it funny that they listed Tales of Heart as number ten for uh, North America when we only got Tales of Heart R. <laughs> I don't think that game is very good either. Yeah, <laughs> I, I reviewed it, gave it a five. Sorry. It's. I'm glad. I'm glad though that Japan 
has uh, decided that you know Tales of Eternia, pretty good. It is good. Uh, it is good. Eternia is good. Well, obviously, though, um, like the the undertone of of these lists is that like some of these games never made it to North America or never made it to Europe or they only did in a very specific circumstance on a limited release. So like the global and the Japanese ranking are kind of like stacked against each other inherently a bit. Obviously, it seems like from like Zestiria on, we're kind of out of that paradigm of the series. Uh, I say that as the series has kind of been dormant since 2016 or so with Berseria. Obviously, we finally got the the Arise news earlier this year, and they with the promise of more coming early this year. So we should <laughs> it was more be seeing of a more of that with... news than actual news. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah. Uh, thought experiment time. Tales of Arise. Uh, where does it rank in Japan, North America, and Europe? Like, does it make a top ten? Well, here's the this thing. Is, this, um, I think so... I think if it delivers, it'll it'll easily make it into the top ten globally. Go ahead, Adam. So, like, Symphonia was by far the most successful game in the United States, and it's, it's it tops the worldwide list too, right? Like, we kind of yes, right. it. Yeah, um, obviously being a bigger market than Japan. Like, that game just had, like, a perfect launch, you know, window and region. Like, a Japanese RPG on the GameCube that, like, didn't really have many of them at that time. So, it was, yeah, it had, it, had you know, Nintendo lightning in a bottle, did really well. Um, I think it was, like, Nintendo published if not like nintendo highly marketed it right um and so that's also one reason why symphonia 2 did so well here is because people just wanted a number symphonia even if it is kind of weird um now by the way one thing i think is you you mentioned i don't want to like correct you but you mentioned that north america like bigger market actually one thing that was kind of interesting about this list is that the top three in japan Destiny, Fantasia, and Eternia all broke a million. The top three in North America are 900,000, 800,000, 600,000. So still very much a Japanese-centric mm-hmm. series in terms of sales strength or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, n- n- none of the uh, t- best-selling Tales games in Europe ever broke 500,000. They're all in the 480,000 400, range. Yeah. But also, what I was... One thing I was getting at that's maybe interesting about the Japanese market as a whole is that neither Zestiria nor Bazaria broke into the top ten. And like I'm not like, I'm not, like surprised game, right? Yeah, I'm not surprised maybe that they're not like top five because things like Destiny are like treasured in Japan. So like like it's not gonna beat that. But like you know, maybe being PlayStation games instead of like if there was a, a Tales game on Switch. Uh, maybe that would do better. Is where's Vesperia on the list for Japan? Um, I assume that includes the remake. Yeah, Yeah. but like, I guess being PlayStation games, console games in Japan, maybe they just aren't as popular now as they were on the in the PlayStation One days, Uh, or they're, you know, I was like, I'm I'm a little bit surprised that neither of them could even be as good good enough for tenth place. You know, So. so with you saying that, my guess would be that. I feel like Tales of Arise, especially if it still has like big presence with like Microsoft. I don't know if they got like the marketing or not, but they obviously obviously that's where it was originally announced before it showed up in Tokyo Game Show uh, was the Microsoft E3 stage. Um, I feel like Arise should pretty handedly top the North American and European list, at least the North American. If I had to pick one of those two. But then like you bring up all the stuff about Japan, I'm like, where does it? How high does it go up that list? Especially if it's not got any mobile presence or switch presence maybe it just cracks in there in the top 10 barely 
But I, it's hard to say. Like, I'm not convinced of that. Hmm. Especially when you tell me Zisteria and Brazeria, neither neither of them charted. Mm-hmm. Zillia too, either. Just Zillia is the most recent game. Yeah, I think the, Zillia uh, is the most recent game. That's what. How old is on that? On Japan list. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're right. That's funny. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So Arise will do well globally and in North America, Europe, Japan. Hard to say. All right. The the, the bets are sealed. We'll come back in the year 20XX when Arise <laughs> comes out. We also got a new trailer, and I think George is really looking forward to this, for Biomutant. Obviously, this yes. showed up uh, a few months ago after it had been dormant for a bit. Uh, I remember when we talked about it on that previous podcast episode. I don't remember how long ago that was. It feels like it could have been two months or five months. Uh, the studio actually had a few interviews with a few other publications talking about how basically the reason why they went quiet for so long was because they refused to crunch. They just wanted to take their time and make a good product. So, like, you know, commendable. But now we also we got the release date earlier. We're, we're it's going to release in May. That hasn't changed. May twenty fifth. But now we got a new combat trailer for the game. It's only about a minute long, so not a whole lot to it. Uh, I just think this game looks unique, looks interesting. Doesn't look like derivative of other projects or like we're going to try our hand at something else that someone already did, already did better. So I think it's a it's a cool looking, unique kind of like double A sort of RPG. Mm-hmm. That's my take on it. It's, I think it's an interesting. An interesting concept. I think yeah, I'm really um, looking forward to it. I'm. It is one of my. Well, May's absolutely stacked. So, like saying it's one of the most exciting games of May is like probably actually quite a big deal because other games are like Deathloop and Resident Evil. But no, Biomutant has like it has my number. I'm really keen for that. Uh, and it looks like a PS2 game in all the best ways. Like not <laughs> graphically. I, personally, I think like it is a little bit ugly. Like it is a little bit like uh, what's the phrase where it's like. The uncanny valley—that's it. It's, it's a bit like that. Looking at stuff, you're like, "Oh, that's not right." Um, but then you just like get to the combat, which is what the trailer focuses on. It's just like you're just flipping about, you're just shooting guns, doing kung fu. Like it's awesome. Uh, it's just got—it's got an interesting art style. It's got an interesting premise. Mm. Uh, it just seems like it's a breath of fresh air, kind of like. And there's like there's some like mech stuff to it too. And I'm kind of just like clicking through the trailer right now, and it is a little bit garish, maybe like the art direction. Mm. but like that's me like nitpicking like what do, let me pick out something of this game to, to not laud praise on but yeah, i just yeah, think it looks yeah, great yeah. i'm always on board for something that's just slightly different from the norm like let's let's try this out it's so. sort of stupid shit that like you would see in the ps2 era and that isn't around enough now or it's just like yeah like rabbit kung fu cool it's like yeah that's cool make it an rpg even cooler i love it So we've talked about this on, like, I think, the last two podcasts or two of the last three, but we did get a little bit more details about the upcoming, the upcoming Mistwalker RPG Fantasian. We obviously talked about it when it had its big, it, it's been in progress for a few years now, but we had its big like public unveiling a couple weeks ago, and then we learned a little bit about the story premise and characters, I think, last week. Uh, we learned a little bit about more about it this week, uh, thanks to a Famitsu Magazine article. Uh, namely, the big takeaway from this is that it will release in two separate parts, where the first part will be 20 to 30 hours and will release basically sometime soon. And the second part will follow still slated for this year, but you know it'll come in two halves. So that's kind of an interesting like idea. I don't know if there was any other takeaway. I didn't really poke through this uh, Famitsu article, but uh, so how are we feeling about Fantasian? 
it's always weird that like uh, how Apple Arcade has for some projects the like become like an early access ground almost because I remember um, that uh, World's End Club uh, released like like only the first part of it whatever that entailed only released on Apple Arcade until its upcoming Switch release sometime I forgot what the release date was but I don't know I, it's hard for me to get personally it's always hard for me to get excited about projects that's like oh it's only coming at this early access form or this part right now and then yeah, full, why not just uh, wait for the second part? Yeah, the full version eventually. Like, yeah, just just recently, just I think even today, um, that uh, uh what was it? The Deedlit Wonderland Labyrinth. I already forgot the the Record of Lotus War game. Like recently, just released in its full full form. Like today, um, I want to get check that out. But the, like just for its whole entire early access, I'm like I'm not really interested until the full version. So uh, for me, it's hearing Fantasia. It's like it'll release not in a complete state like has kind of hampered my excitement for it by curiosity for it. it's like ah okay i'll just wait for the full release then. there's also the fact that it's part of a subscription service so it's like do you if you're not already subscribed to apple arcade do you get a subscription play the first part and like cancel the subscription and then get another subscription later to play I the second part that. yeah 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 like just wait <laughs> you know like okay and there was like another thing. Part of this was like you know have scenes similar to the Lost Odyssey's Thousand Years of Dreams thing, which is okay, cool. Why not? Those were pretty neat. Yeah, I think those are good. And some people think they're too slow or maybe like too over long. But I don't know. It's I think I I kind of want a few more RPGs that try like delivering their story in different ways. It doesn't always have to be presented in like just cutscenes that are in the present moment. So. Long story short, I like a thousand years of dreams. So the idea of something trying that same tact, like I'm all, I'm all for that. You know, should turn out. And, and the people who didn't know those, those were kind of like more traditional, like text-based, like style. It's basically honestly, honestly, the story, music. The story given in those was better than the main game in Lost Odyssey. Yeah, yeah you could like. I think the main criticism, not to go on too big a tangent of Lost Odyssey, but like time, the protagonist of that game as he appears in those stories, like comes across very differently as he does like in the game and almost feels like it's like, is this, the story is about the same character, right? Yeah. So it, obviously that's probably just doing the main, the main driving for, for that is because they uh, had like a very famous, I don't remember his name offhand, but they had like a known Japanese author pen those stories who didn't pen the main game. So it's like, of course it's going to have like a different voice and a different feel to it. So we don't so know much about the details in Fantasian, but uh Hopefully, hopefully they Fantasia, maybe avoid those pitfalls. Yeah. Hopefully Fantasia doesn't uh, fall into the pitfall of like, man, these sequences, I'd rather play that game that they're telling over what I'm I'd rather right just now. read this book rather than uh, <laughs> play through the game. This. But the game looks really nice, obviously. We mentioned in the in one of the previous podcasts that you should go and look at those diorama set images because they are amazing, and that's still true. Here is one that I don't know how to sell. Uh, we got a surprise announcement for Google Stadia. Uh, I I'm gonna say <laughs> something here. This uh -huh. annoys me because this means that now there's a bunch of Falcom games with a Linux port that are never going to see the light of day. All right. So to to not bury the lead, Trails of Cold Steel three, Trails of Cold Steel four, East eight, and East nine are now or not now available. They will release on Google Stadia. Do we have a date? Yeah, it's no, like April first. No, yeah, we do. It's April first oh, yeah, for. Uh, Trails of Cold Steel 3 and East 8. 
then East or Tales of Cold Steel 4 will come out on April 9th, same day as the PC Switch version, and then East 9, probably same day as the PC Switch version, whenever that is. And so fun fact, uh, when the uh, when Trails in the Sky, uh, first chapter, second chapter, and the third were new on PC in the West, uh, that's when I was still daily driving Linux. So actually, the way that I played the Trails in the Sky trilogy was on Linux. So this actually does kind of annoy me. It's like, so there is a Linux version of Ease 8 that I won't be able to play unless I pay for Can you explain that? Like, Google for Stadia. someone like me who's dumb, what does Google Stadia, like, how does that title Linux? Um, it's because the, it, it, the software stack is actually Linux. It uses a Linux kernel, and the, I'm assuming that the GPU drivers that they're using are the AMD uh, open source ones, because uh, that's the uh, graphics architecture that they have on the actual Stadia server blades. I guess I didn't know that. It's yeah, a, I guess kind of surprised. I don't know if a ton of people were like, this would be their chance. Like, aha, finally, I can play these games, I guess. Keep, like, in, keep in mind that also, like, uh, if everyone forgot that Google Stadia's monetization structure is you have to subscribe to the service, and then you start to pay full price for these games. Uh, Though, they, to be fair, I, I don't mean to defend Stadia, but technically, you only need to pay for up to 4K60 streaming. If you're fine with 1080p60, you just have to buy the games. Right, right. I like how Josh sounds completely unconvinced. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, you know what? Uh, East America got a shitload of money from Google, at least. They yeah. double dipped on this, uh, like, streaming services because, like, you, like, they're supporting Luna and now they're supporting, yeah. like, uh, Stadia. I mean, one thing you can definitely say about NIS America is that they know how to push their games onto as many platforms as po possible. I mean, I hell, they even they even got the Sky of Four Complete Plus on Game Pass. It's true. So, East America rolling in the dosh of these streaming streaming services. Now I'm just reminded that I'm like, oh yeah, for me who was waiting for the PC version, Cold Steel Four is coming up. So, uh, look forward to that. You can finally uh, play these on on the go. Uh, boot up Google Stadia on your uh, mobile devices, and then show everyone. George can play them on his Chromebook. <laughs> but, but wait a second! But wait a second! It's already on Switch, and so is Cold Steel Three. No, no, it's not not with the power of Stadia. <laughs> the power of the cloud. That's right. It's like, hey, Google sponsored me to show this off to you. Here's another little bit of a surprise port. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII Remastered, which came out in late 2019, I believe, is now available on Google Play and iOS, so on mobile devices. So uh, I think this is something where it's just kind of like, why not? Like, I don't know if there's any other real takeaway for this. And uh, think about how you have to control like those limit breaks, man. Have to do Squall's Renzo Zukin on, a, on mobile, get, get those time taps in. Or how about Zell's limit break? And you have to do all those inputs on a on mobile. Oh, oh, yeah, you have to do like a button combination on like yeah. a digital. <laughs> a yeah. But like, uh, 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 if you, uh, how do I say this? If you're, if you're curious <laughs> enough to try it, go ahead and check out Remaster on mobile and check in with us. Oh, was there? <laughs> it's now available. So it is, it is, you can get it now. It's, I got a discount until April 4th. 17 what, what, bucks. So the Square Enix premium, premium. What other tricky inputs do you have to do for people's limit breaks that would be tricky on mobile? Uh, Irvi Irvine or Irvine's like rapid shot? No, that one's just a shoulder button. button, isn't it? 
Hmm. Those are the only two that came out to me. It was the, the Renzo Zukin and uh, Zell's, was it My Final Heaven or something? Those are the only it ones. is interesting, though, when I look at like our game page for Final Fantasy VIII, it's got like PS1, PS4, Switch, Mobile. <laughs> Just kind of making the rounds. Now you can say whatever on the go. So a couple a little bit for some smaller projects here. We got a release date for the upcoming Cyberpunk RPG game deck. So this game has kind of like been in development for a while, and then I think it got delayed. It's basically like a cyberpunk isometric game. It's not dissimilar to something like Disco Elysium, where it doesn't have combat. It's focused more on story and dialogue. Uh, it is coming out on September 16th for PC. So just an interesting indie project. I think we had someone write a preview for this last year. Yes, Danny did in August of last year. Uh, she thought it had some very iffy storytelling and some bad narrative beats. So, according to her opinion, maybe this is not a game to buy on day one. See what the uh, what the takeaway is when it releases. But interesting little project for people who want more cyberpunk. But it seems like we might be zero for two in terms of uh, quality cyberpunk games recently. But I don't want. I don't. I don't, don't want to. Uh, <laughs> maybe Holy maybe shit. maybe i mean that was that was just the preview so maybe maybe it'll be surprising but it'll come out in uh september god damn and obviously we have a few more other indie games that were announced and or detailed over the last week with the future game show and the um what was the other one the xbox at indie thing not a lot of rpgs i did see lawnmower simulator was announced which i'm always on board for just like there, goofy yeah. projects like that like why the not ultimate let's, rpg <laughs> let's, let's do it uh and but uh the one that i picked out that i wanted to call out was this game from i believe a korean studio ocean dive studio called lost idolin lost idolins it is a strategy rpg not dissimilar to fire emblem only it has like a very like Western medieval fantasy art style to it. And it kind of looks like a uh, like an Xbox One game or something like that. But it's isometric strategy based game. Maybe it's got a, like a, the art style is a little bit bland. But like other than that, it kind of looks like quality project with classes, with, with familiar gameplay, with kind of like a cool setting. Uh, so we uh, Adam posted about this, about the, the trailer for it. It's kind of like been in... Um, development for a while but it's just now got the uh kind of getting the marketing push uh we don't have any date about a release date or news about a release date it's to be announced 2022 but lost idolins i think it just looks kind of neat a pc uh pc and console strategy rpg yeah it's like a western fire emblem i see on the trailer interesting yeah and it shows like some of the characters changing outfits which i assume might be class-based or might just be gear-based it's hard to sell hard to say um, and it has kind of like the Baldur's Gate 3 style where like the main gameplay is isometric, but the cutscenes are third person, like traditionally so. So uh, I, I just think it's an interesting concept. So I'm yeah. basically it's on my radar now. So Lost Idolins, cool. check it out. Coming next year. I didn't fill out the podcast doc with any of the other indies, but there were a few more. I don't know if anyone had any that they want to call out. There was this kind of like Dark Souls like from a Taiwanese studio called what was it called thymesia oh yeah that that one looks kind of neat where uh, it's kind of got like the the cloaked character in like one of those plague doctor masks so it's it's slated to come out this year it looks kind of like a bloodborne's like basically an indie studios take on bloodborne yeah so that, that pretty cool 
Uh, I know when we posted about it, some people were also excited about this slice of life, slice of life fishing RPG. Ooh, I want to hear about this. Huh? I mean, I think it's a Canadian <laughs> studio, or at least it takes place in Canada. It's it's kind of like this. It's a Xbox and Steam RPG. It's got this sort of Minecrafty, blocky art style, and yeah, you just it's just fishing. You do you do story and the art. Game is called and Moon, a town Moonglow. Moonglow. Sorry, yeah, it's called Moonglow Bay. Bay. Yep. So I That's... saw some people were really excited about that. <laughs> just fishing. So if, yeah. if fishing is a quintessential component of any good RPG, then clearly, when purely distilled, this is the end result. Yeah, this is, this is, is the optimal <laughs> RPG, the ultimate life form. This so. is the pinnacle. I, I wonder, is it like it's like one of those things where like you level up your fishing rod or you have to tackle higher level fish? What is a fishing RPG? Oh. Not sure. It's kind of got like a 3D dot game hero sort of style art style where it's like mm. comprised of like, I don't know, voxels, is that going to call it? Uh, Speaking of another game that's... Yeah, that's they, a, he actually calls it... Mm-hmm. Say that again, yeah. James. Uh, speaking of another game that's exclusive to the PS3, yeah, oh, Hero Dot Heroes, hell of a game, man. We're trying to get away <laughs> from that sour note. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the the one that caught my eye until I found out the developer was this uh, Astria Ascending, uh, which is a remake of the of Zodiac Orkanon uh, Odyssey from 2015. It was a mobile RPG. And this was also shown at the uh, Xbox Indie thing. Yeah, and then the whole the whole like you know thing for it uh, back even back then was it's written by Kazushige Nojima from FF7 FF10 fame, and then music by Hitoshi Sakamoto uh, from who did Akira Chronicles FF12 and another and other lots of RPG classics and whatnot. So this was kind of out of nowhere, like like it was teased by Famitsu, and then they had an article for it. And um, they showed off like a trailer for it on uh, the ID at Xbox, and I was like, "Oh, this is kind of neat." It, like the art style is like very rem- reminiscent of like something that Vanillaware would put out, like kind of hand painted. I saw multiple comparisons to like Dragon's Crown. Yeah, yeah, and then I was like, "Oh, this could be interesting." And then like the only thing that like that put my damper on it was uh, the, the developer's Artisan Studio, Canadian developer. And then their their only like notable project uh, last time, like you know, recently was Super Neptunia RPG. That's <laughs> like ah, I don't know about that, man. Super Neptunia. Well, I also RPG, heard like great. so. Obviously, this game isn't clearly marketed as a remake, even though it is, because this game is called Astria Ascending, but it's a remake of Zodiac Orkanon Odyssey, which I don't know anything about. But like I've heard people, as soon as people like realize that, like that that itself put a damper on it because apparently that game is not very good. This well, okay, is through so the grapevine. Uh, it might be hearsay, but and I guess like this this has like the same like I don't know if it's like the exact same characterization, but it has the same like character designs and characters from that game. But then like they're saying that like the 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 story is all new. It's going to be a much darker story. So like mm-hmm. there's so a remake in the sense of like it's going to be a completely new game, but still the same character designs. I guess. And it's coming yeah, it's out. Like a, to... It's like a remake, but it's like a it's like it's, it's like a, 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 how do you put it? Like let, let's just try this game again, only do it <laughs> better two. this time. Hopefully, Mulligan yeah. on the first time we did this. 
But yeah, hearing that this game was a remake of a game that wasn't received very well, made by the developer of a of a game that wasn't received very well, it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not as excited anymore. Yeah, maybe I guess we'll we'll have to see. This is coming out this sometime this year for PS5, PS4, the, the Xbox Series consoles, Xbox One, Switch, and Steam. Everything except Stadia. What, what in the world? Oh, and it's also going to be available on Xbox Game Pass <laughs> at launch as well. So we'll see, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I don't think it looks that good. Uh, it's, it's the trailer's so weird. I don't I don't like the character's walk animation in the trailer. She looks like it looks like a horse moving around. So they to have like honest. these exaggerated proportions, sort of like the characters in Dragon's Crown in terms of the character design, which is fine. But they, I feel like they kind of like walk pigeon toed with these legs that are like 60% of their body. And it just kind of, it's like they took too many steps where it's like now it almost feels like not, maybe not Uncanny Valley is the right thing, but am I still looking at human beings here? Like, yeah, it's just like that's not how human anatomy works, but moving around. Okay, I, I can understand like exaggerating to make yeah. like. Uh, like an yeah, artistic like a stylized art distinction, style, yeah. but I feel like they just they turn too many knobs up. Where at some point you lose something, where it no longer, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like oh okay, it's, it's so. And it, I just don't like it. it. Has like that puppet style movement where like the characters kind of have like two or three like vertexes that they kind of like wiggle or like idle on. Does that make sense? And yeah, that, I that's it, sort yeah. of that sort of art style art style I've never really kind of liked. And this game does have plenty of that. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny how some people mentioned, like, why does this game look like a mobile game? It's like, well, <laughs> it was a <laughs> mobile game. game. Like, you know, one of the few times where it's like, well, you know, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just reminds me, like, uh, that just reminds me when I, uh, uh, we first pushed the Scarlet Grace review. Uh, I had a bunch of people say, no, this looks like a mobile game. And then they said, look, it's on iOS and Android. It's a mobile port. It's like, actually, no, it came out on Vita first. It's just and a coincidence I, that it has mobile versions. And to, well, Vita is a mobile console, uh, to be fair, as well, or handheld. Take it back. Take it back. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> it comes out this year at some point on everything, including Game Pass. So... Maybe Morbid Curiosity will just try it out. Why not? Other than that, that's everything I had listed for the podcast. So some cool indie indie titles to talk about, some new information about stuff like Saga Frontier Remastered, and then kind of like a harsh real talk about game preservation of all things. But I think it was kind of a nice discussion to have. And obviously, uh, go ahead and look at that list that we published for any games that you are interested in, because you might not have a chance for, for much longer. Wait, are we going to talk about obviously, Titan? Of course. Wait, did I miss one? Just as, I miss? A, as a, a last thing, I guess. This is important <laughs> for me and James. Uh, me and James have a this, is a... this is personal for me and James. So I listed here before we wrap up this Type Moon corner. So this week, a new issue of the Type Moon Ace magazine came out. And this, these issues very rarely come out. They only come out when big Type Moon projects come out. Tide Moon, obviously, uh, the most people will know them from Fate Grand Order, the mobile RPG. But you know, we talked about it on a, uh, a past podcast uh, around the beginning of the year when the Tsukihime uh, remake was an, uh, re-announced. Uh, there was a, a new surprise project that came out that was announced that didn't leak from this uh, new Tide Moon Ace issue. That uh, a new Melty Blood game is coming out. 
and and it's not like it's not like an update. It's like a totally new Melty Blood that's more in line with like Undernight Birth. Okay, so so, so so people who don't know, Melty Blood is a. Uh, these is are a lot of weird words without context. Yes. Like Melty Blood. <laughs> yeah. do, do you want? Do you want? Do you want to know <laughs> the? Do you want to know the the most recent title for the like current Melty Blood? Okay, so, so, so before we go into that, Melty Blood is a long-running fighting game series that was originally uh, spun off as like as a, as a fan game on a fan, uh, like as a fan game uh, from a fan disc of uh, Sukihime. Um, so with that in mind, uh, n- know that this is the developed by French Bread. That's the developer name. They are the developer behind the Under Night In Birth series, uh, whose uh, most most recent title. Is Undernight Inbirth EXE late in brackets ST test. So EXE. No, 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 no. In brackets CL dash R and bracket. Oh, oh, right. It's clear now. Yeah. (laughs) Clear. Okay. So what's the the most, well, what's the the last release of Melty Blood before? Melty Blood, actress again, current code. Version 1.07. Um, yeah, and and now this one is the scaling it back. It's just called Melty Blood Type Lumina, and this is based on the Tsukihime remake, not the original Tsukihime. So this has the character designs from the, the from the new Tsukihime, a piece of Blue Glass Moon remake. Um, the, the the most surprising thing about this was this is pretty much like this is how ideally you want to announce fighting games that aren't leaked is one. This is confirmed for a worldwide release this year, so this is coming out to English regions as well. The two, this has a release platforms. It's coming to PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Three, they confirmed an interview with Kamine, one of the head-ups at uh, French Bread, is that it'll have rollback netcode, which is yep. you know, the new fighting game standard for netcode because it's very smooth. Um, and you know, and then for like, you know, important info for people who are invested in the Melty Blood series of like, you know what may be returning, what may be cut. You know, since and Kamine was very upfront that like a lot of the Melty Blood original characters, the the new characters that were introduced in the Melty Blood games, aren't coming back at the moment because you know canonically, you know timeline wise, they aren't introduced yet in the remake timeline. So like you know at least giving people fans the heads up, like you know some of the favorite characters that you may be um, familiar with are returning right now, like characters like Len. Characters like uh, how do you pronounce her name? It's like Ria, R I E S B Y F E. That's her her name. It's like Reese Reese Beef or Bife, but some people just call her Roast Beef, to just for simplicity's sake. Makes sense. Yeah, you know, uh, like characters like Coma. I get and whatnot. it. Yep. Uh, so you know, so it's it's nice that you know important info is already out there. Like you know, just expect you know like this will be like a first release of like a reinvigorated series. So there might be not as many characters returning so that was really cool just like to see like hey there's a new multi-blood fighting game that like i really like these guys because movement in them is so fun it's very free form uh and there's wacky combos like unlike you know how you might see like street fighter like you know it's a very grounded game like you know pokes and basic combos multi-blood combos are very weird where like say like you do like a, a low punch on someone you can like uh eventually get this uh same combo Got launch them into the air, and then as they're ascending, you're hitting them as they're ascending, and then end that combo with like an air throw. And that's just a weird thing that like not many fighting games how they flow these days. You can just do that in Melty Blood. 
so you know the, you know there's only like this is the announcement this is like initial announcement there's only very few characters you have like the main characters of Tsukihime obviously returning Tonoshiki Akiha Arcuade Seal and whatnot and then there's more melty blood intrinsic intrinsic systems that they kind of tease in the screenshots but haven't really detailed so that's really cool um and then they if get you, finally go if for you're it. at all a fan of fighting games be sure to buy undernight in birth and play it it is really good yeah undernight in birth very fantastic fighting game from french bread as well obviously that uh, unfortunately doesn't have rollback netcode but you know it's still a really cool game just the mechanics of it are really cool um, they finally gave a release date in Japan for the Tsukihime A Piece of Blue Glass Moon remake. That's coming uh, August 26th in Japan. Unfortunately, who knows if there's going to be a localization or not. Um, the weird thing about this remake that they shared is that this remake will only adapt near side content, which is only two routes of the five of the original. So that'll be the Arcuade and Seal routes. They're like the main two main characters in that. Uh, for a lot of people, that's kind of a big bummer because a lot of people's favorite routes are in the far side content. And the far side has Akiha, Hisui, and Kohaku. That's their routes there. And a lot of like the, their favorite, like, you know, a lot of people have their favorites in the Tsukihime series. And a lot of the far side content is like their favorite events happen in that side. So they've uh, revealed in, inter- in the interview about Tsukihime remake in that Type Moon Ace issue is like, they're still thinking about, you know, they're still going to remake Farsight. They're still thinking about it. They, they don't know how they're going to release it yet. But it's the, it's in the books. It's in, it's in the plans. Who knows when it's going to release. But as you know, to offset this, the Arcuate and Seal routes in this upcoming remake will be have a lot of content. They're saying like it might have like double the volume of Tsukihime, which is a lot. Uh, already yeah it, it's already a pretty decent sized uh vn so it's like yeah. oof. Um, yeah. the, i think Different. one of the most notable things that has been announced is that uh, the reasoning why it's not the uh um remake isn't coming to pc or at least the reason air quotes is uh they put so much effort into it so they want people to play it on a big tv they're releasing the game on switch <laughs> yeah yeah just, you know, like, a, yeah, like uh, Kiniko Nasu, the writer, the main scenario writer of these type moon games, he's like, you know, just kind of like my egotistical, you know, side seeking that I want people to uh, experience this on a big screen with like a lot nice sound system and whatnot. It's like, dude, come on, you're placing it on Switch as well. So hopefully this remake eventually comes to PC. We don't know when. Well, at hopefully. least, at least Melty Blood, even if we can't play it with at least even though we can't play it in the bathroom with our laptops you can still bring your switch into the restroom it's true it's true <laughs> uh yeah there's a there's a lot of like you know the the melty blood community is uh fairly small so there's like you know a lot of like inside jokes around it of like is that you know the, the melty blood community is very uh loyal to their game though the, and the joke is they'll, they'll literally play this game anywhere so there's a lot of like you know there have been like play sessions of like people playing on their laptops in the bathroom with other people. So it's kind of like a weird inside joke. That is yeah. Still, the last know, time I went game. to the last time I went to a proper fighting game local, it was like this house party and it was mostly mm-hmm. just for undernight Ember, but there was also stuff like soul Calibur too. Somebody set up like virtual fighter through Yakuza six and all that really fun time. Halfway through it, somebody just set up a laptop in the bathroom with Melty Blood running on it. <laughs> running on it. So, uh, you guys are crazy. Yeah. 
But yeah, I, I like yeah. I guess the, the, the last thing. My takeaway about... is that Multi Blood is a fighting game that you play in bathrooms. Yes. Like, Pretty that's much. Probably, All right. Right. It's it's then, natural environment. And then the, the last thing about the Sukihime thing that I guess is worth sharing is like is there there's there's so much happening, like changing up and expanding the scenario where like the, the game now takes place ten days before the events of what actually happens in the main game so it's like it's filling out a lot of like just the general world and lore i guess it's it's interesting it's very exciting to me and james as like as fans general fans of type moon products i just wanted to bring that up i know it's yeah the thing RPG that's really interesting yeah one of the things that's really interesting is he's outright saying that he wants to make uh sukihime like more important to the overall nasiverse so that's gonna be interesting to see how that um works out it's it's even to the point where like you know since a lot of type moon fans and you know like their first like exposure to it is like fake grand order mobile game that like suki is basically so intrinsic to that like narrative uh where like certain things that happen into the suki Hime remake will establish like oh this is like a why events certain events in fake grand order has happened uh is because they like the suki Hime remake like kind of sets like the beginning point of like, oh, this is why things happen in Fate Grand Order. So it's kind of weird, like, how they're going to recontextualize that and how it'll be important to that to the mobile game as well. And the mobile game is already very famous, makes a lot of money, obviously, but it's very famous for having like a very deep narrative, and a lot of people are invested. You know, not just for the gameplay. The gameplay is like the worst part, uh, arguably the worst aspect of Fate Grand Order so for the deep narrative that it has. So yeah, I mean, that's it. Was very, it was very. Uh, it's surprising and exciting to see that you know a new Melty Blood game has been announced and is coming in English this year. It's with rollback, and it's like, oh my god, what the hell is happening? That's that's crazy. That's crazy. You I'm know what this so means, Josh? Right? The Undernight engine supports rollback now. Oh my god, that's true. It's true. But that's all I have to say about it. That's if you were able to follow that, uh, I envy you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm playing it up a bit. I'm being cheeky. Uh, I get it. But no, it's I... always it's always cool to have an exciting game of a you know, especially you know, in in this era of so many things being like like when when will we see Starfield next or whoever. Uh, just having a game saying it's announced, it's coming out this year is always kind of cool. Look, all I'm saying is uh, us Tsukihime fans have been waiting a long, long time for this remake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, we'll start wrapping up. Thank you for listening. We are here every week. If you want to read about uh, James's review or watch it, you can go visit it on the site at rpgsite.net or on the YouTube channel, YouTube slash rpgsitenet. We do have a Twitter account at rpgsite. We also do have an Instagram account and a Facebook under the same name. You can always join our Discord channel by going to our homepage and clicking the link at the top. And other than that, stay safe. Take care, and you'll hear from us next week. Melty Blood lives!